You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez, and I am joined by two very special guests today. Hey, everybody. It's Mike from Count Creepyhead's Saturday Morning Monster Mash, one-third of the supergroup known as <laughs> Temple of the Dog. Or what, what is this, a Rad Pantheon party? I don't know what you want to call it. but I Kind of, yeah. It's, it's a rad party. There you go. <laughs> and who's that other guest over there? Hey, it's your boy, the Strasburg, the uh, host of the Raised by Rentals program. All by myself. I do both voices. You can never tell. Yep, <laughs> it's, it's true. He's the Professor X of the Rad Pantheon. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'll take it. To and me, it, my X-Men. <laughs> to me. I always saw you more as like the chief from Doom Patrol. But... Um, <laughs> And how it, character essentially yeah and well then she technically debuted like two months before professor x so he's technically the original <laughs> ah, there you go and seeing this is why you're the leader uh, <laughs> wait well, we, d- does that mean that i'm uh what's his name timothy dalton is am i timothy dalton because i'll yeah, take timothy that dalton i will you definitely are. take that yes thank you very much sorry go ahead, well, which which english sir would you rather be sir patrick stewart or sir timothy dalton Ooh, they're both. Oh God, that's a hard. Hmm. I, I think I think I'm gonna go with Dalton. I think I'm gonna go with Dalton because uh, you know I uh, I had to think for him as uh, <laughs> as James Bond. You know, uh, he was he was the worst James Bond. Yet he's like my James Bond. You know. <laughs> nice. I don't think he's the worst James Bond by by a mile. I think he's uh, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> Daniel Craig is the worst James Bond, but oh. it's not his fault. It's the Ooh. movies. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It's, he's not the worst James Bond, but the movies are hit or miss. But yeah, whatever. That, we're not here. This is not the, the James Bond <laughs> we podcast. Haven't been told the listeners why we're here yet. Well, this is going to be an interesting one. We are, we are here for a very special reason. This is uh, Michael May's birthday pick. You damn um, right. <laughs> something we have been threatening to cover on this show for a very <laughs> long time. Uh, we haven't due to streaming issues, but. We are here to talk about the classic Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Uh, It's two hours and seven minutes. The extended cut that I I think all three of us watched is the two hour and 19 minute version. uh, Directed by the late, great George Romero. Obviously, we would know him from the other dead films. Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. But also great films like Martin, Creepshow, Monkey Shines, The Crazies, and The Dark Half. Uh, there's other ones like Bruiser, but let, let's not talk about Bruiser. <laughs> um, <laughs> and of course, you know, Knight Rider, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, this is something that we've wanted to get on the show forever. I know, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite movies. And the reason that we had to get Josh on here is because I know this is one of Josh's favorite movies. And of course, Mike, I, I, am I correct in, in saying this is your second favorite movie of all time? I know Night of the Living Dead is your first. Uh, so fun fact. This is how I know you guys is from Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So uh, I originally approached Josh, Professor Pickman, 
because uh, I was a fan of his Thing minifigures. And I, I just casually asked him, because Josh is a very approachable person on the internet. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, how much would it cost if I wanted to make my own minifigures? And he like threw a number out there because uh, I had just been uh, liquidated at my job. I got a little pension. And I was like, maybe I, you know, I should have saved it. But I was like, you know what I want to do? <laughs> and it was very affordable. I'm not going to spit out numbers. But then Josh was like, well, I have an artist that I work with that does the concepts. I sculpt them. And then he introduced me to you. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, we're all pretty much the same person as, as, <laughs> as far like mentally speaking. And we've, just, we've been friends ever since. That turned into podcasting and that turned into meeting uh, Professor Straussberg and um here we are. It's like you say, you know, is this my favorite movie? It depends on when I'm watching it. Yep. Uh, I think Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead are so close. Uh, I give it to Night of the Living Dead maybe by like a fraction of a point. Yeah. Uh, as far as my favorite goes. But I think they're both amazing, flaw- almost flawless films. There's one little teeny tiny thing in Dawn of the Dead that has always bothered me. But I can watch it. All day, every day, never get tired of it. I've had a love affair with it since I was eight when I first <laughs> saw it. Um, it's just the best fucking movie. It, it's so dark and bleak, but I just wrap myself up in it like a, a warm blanket. And I, I love existing in the world that Romero makes in this movie. Well, it's, it's funny. Uh, like we, I know you saw the 3D version. Uh, yep. just recently hit theaters me and maurice went to go see that as well and i had just watched it probably about a month or two prior uh my dvd version and it's like watching it on the big screen even after just seeing it at home like there's not a single moment of the film where i'm checking the timestamp or wondering like how long is this going to be on for you know there's there's never there's never a distraction there's something about at least the first three of the dead trilogy night of the living dead dawn of the dead day of the dead where no matter how many fucking times i see these movies i am never bored like the entire time i am just in for the entire ride no and the power of george romero as an editor yeah there's not a wasted second it's true because even even in the downtimes in this film which what we will get into but uh, the downtimes in this film like you're still interested in every single thing our main four characters are doing and it, it's it's so fascinating the way he's able to pull that off. But and, I, and I've said this on the show countless times that whenever I'm watching one of the original three uh, dead films, I can never decide which one I like best. Like, it's like while I'm watching it, that's my favorite. So like any, every Halloween when I watch Night of the Living Dead, I'm like, yep, that's my favorite one. Then I watch Dawn of the Dead. And I'm like, yep, that's my favorite one. Then I get to day <laughs> and I'm like, nope, that's my favorite one. every time without fail. <laughs> you know, it's. I have this mentality sometimes where I don't want to make or rank things as favorites. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the movie just gets to a level and it's just there. You don't have to rank it anymore. This is an awesome movie. Yeah. It's reaching. You can peak. stop. It's on your Mount Rushmore <laughs> that has how many ever heads you want to have on it. Right. It's not just four. It's just like, this is a perfect movie to me. And I'm not going to say it's better or worse than any of these other ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've heard how, mu- how much uh, you and I like the film. Josh, how about you? What, what are your thoughts on Dawn of the Dead? 
Uh, yeah, I will say uh, this is my favorite zombie movie. Uh, and it has it has been ever since the very first time that I saw it, which was probably later than you know most people, probably later than both of you. I didn't see it until I was twenty for the first mm-hmm. time, um, because you know, and I mentioned this on other podcasts that like I don't think of myself as like a horror aficionado per se. I just like fun movies. I like weird genre stories, whether it's a movie or a comic or whatever. You know, so yeah, I like sci-fi, fantasy, horror. But to me, I never really zeroed in on like one more than the other. So. I was never like going out and like seeking the classics when I was younger. And actually it wasn't until my early twenties where I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I should go out and watch these movies, you know? And I think I saw the remake of Night of the Living Dead first and then the original one and then Dawn of the Dead. And at the time that I saw it, it was the perfect moment because I worked at the Smoke and Joe Reservation gas station um, in the Tuscarora Indian Reservation up on Indian Hill, which for anyone who's familiar with the area there in Western New York is at night, it's completely pitch black in like the middle of nowhere in the woods, right? Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> and it's spooky. <laughs> it, it's very spooky. And there's like a gas station and a little store and there's a cigarette factory, right? For one of the only Native American cigarette manufacturers there, Smoke and Joe. And when I worked there, it was even more like desolate and abandoned than it is now. Like they've built up that area a lot more. So I was there working at this gas station on an overnight shift. And the first couple of shifts I worked with, you know, my boss at the time who was there to train me obviously and about an hour or two into this like 11 p.m shift so it's like we're after midnight now and he's like okay cool it's gonna real it's gonna die down now the only people we're gonna get through here are like the occasional truckers and people who are gonna like come in like park here for the night so you know we can kind of let our hair down and he busted out a v uh a vhs or sorry vcr and some stack of vhs tapes and popped in a movie and i was like cool i guess we're watching a movie my first day at work with my boss this is fun you know and he popped in uh not this movie but he, uh, the original uh evil dead the first one which at that point i hadn't seen yet i only seen evil dead 2 in army of darkness and so i'm right off the bat i was like hell yeah this is a great shift and as soon as evil dead was over we watched dawn of the dead and i was completely glued and by this point it's like three o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere, just the two of us for miles, you know, and it was like, and it was desolate, just like the movie is desolate. And I completely fell in love with it. And yeah. And I've seen better zombie movies in terms of like, you know, the quality of the craftsmanship and how they're made and how they're written. But like, I don't give a fuck from that very first viewing. This is like the zombie movie for me. It's the perfect, you know, feeling of both loneliness, but like Mike, you mentioned, it feels kind of like cozy and comfortable for me. The favorite, my favorite parts of the movie are them just sort of exploring and like living in the mall. Like I don't give a shit about, you know, the other conflicts in the movie as much because it's like, yeah, those are fun, but like there's lots of, you know, fights with raiders and random zombies in the city. Like those are in lots of movies, but how many movies do you have where people are just like nesting because, you know, uh, Fran's, you know, pregnant and they're just, they're building a home and then the way that they react to it, you know, and with the amazing like background music that's going, it just feels like you forget that, oh shit, there's like a zombie horde outside because it's just so comfy and cozy. And that's kind of how I felt like this like little random gas station in the middle of nowhere, you know, until somebody comes and knocks on the window and you're like, oh God, like I didn't, (laughs) I forgot. The zombies are still there. (laughs) There's people outside, shit. (laughs) Yeah, so I absolutely love this movie. It's, It's my favorite zombie movie of all time because it exists in a very specific like moment in time. And I love these types of like slow burn, quiet emotions emotional movies that just like zing you once in a while for me it's mm-hmm. great it's perfect 
it, it's funny that, that, you know, we're mentioning like how we first came upon. I think, uh, Mike, you, you definitely got uh, you got both of us beat as far as seeing it early. Um, I actually didn't see it until I was working at Media Play. And I had I got hired there in uh, late 1996 um, for Christmas help. So I was 16 years old. And one of the things I would do every time I got paid is I would end up buying movies because the, there was such a good employee discount. So I'd go over to the horror section. I just kind of browse the VHS and just buy a random one. And I saw Dawn of the Dead. And I mean, we all know the classic cover, you know, the, the zombie head looking like the rising sun and all that. Perfect. I'm, I'm looking at it going, I've never seen this before. And I'm reading the back and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll buy it. I, I don't know what this is, but I'll, I'll watch it. And I brought it home and me and my sister watched it. And we, you know, we were cackling at some of the, the crazy over the top acting in the beginning. But like, as it settled in, to the main movie like we were both just fucking glued to it and you know when i was 16 i wasn't as much of a horror hound as i am now like i still really liked horror movies but i was also doing that thing that many of us do in our teenage years where it's like i like film you know yeah. <laughs> it's like try, trying to get all fucking snobby and up my own ass about my my film taste um so it was like i i wasn't i didn't want to be like this is a great movie i was just like yeah it's good you know, but like I kept watching it over and over again. <laughs> so, but <laughs> back then, like it was Day of the Dead. That was the one that made me really like fall in love with Romero because I had seen Night of the Living Dead when I was young. Um, I saw Dawn of, Dawn of the Dead when I was 16 and then I had never seen Day of the Dead. So I went out and rented it after watching Dawn of the Dead. And that's the one that I, I became obsessed with for a long time. It wasn't until years later when I started watching them kind of on repeat as like background background noise while I would draw or paint that it was like I started truly falling in love with Dawn of the Dead. Um, but yeah, it's it's I was definitely late to the Romero game as well. Uh, the, the two Romero movies that I knew from a very young age were actually Night of the Living Dead and Creepshow. Those those were my go to's for Romero. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see the crazies until I was in my 20s. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the dark half I didn't see until I was a teenager. Monkey Shines I saw as a kid, but I didn't like it. I like it now, but as a kid, I hated it. Um, yeah, same. It, I, rem I remember seeing Dark Half when it first came out, but I had no idea it was Romero. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it because it was Stephen King. Yeah, yep. me too. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you can make the argument that Day of the Dead's kind of like the pinnacle of zombie effects. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that's like, Savini is at his peak power yeah um in day of the dead but I don't think you will find a better zombie story than dawn of the dead yeah I agree I mean, and and no and I think you're onto something there because how many times has have other zombie stories whether it be comic books movies video games how many other times has dawn of the dead specifically been referenced in other forms of zombie fiction yeah. No, Jack, oh, you yeah. said like you've seen oh, yeah. you've seen better zombie movies. Mm -hmm. You haven't. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> and, and, and you're totally right. Let's say this is my favorite one. What I mean is like, have I seen better, you know, more well crafted like gore effects? I mean, sure. I mean, I was oh, watching yeah. it with, watching it with Tegan, and Tegan just immediately is like, oh, okay, well, those are the zombies. They're blue. I guess they all drowned or something. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> yeah, let's just before just go we with it. <laughs> we dive deep. What did Tegan think about? dawn of the dead because before you said she watched it i was fully ready to paypal your kids cash <laughs> to drive them to watch dawn of the dead 
Yeah, no, Tegan loved it. Uh, yeah, they actually, they, they, I don't think that they would qualify it or classify it as high as I do, but they definitely loved it. Loved the slow burn and do, and the same thing. Like when, as soon as it was over, I didn't say anything. I was waiting for Tegan to tell me like, what did you think? And immediately Tegan was like, yeah, the best part of the movie is like them setting up shop in the mall and like exploring all the old stores and, you know, figuring out all the secret passageways. And it was like, in fact, as soon as, uh, you know, the Tom Savini's Raiders showed up, Tegan was like, yeah, okay. Like now, now they were like looking at their watch you know or, or looking yeah. at the clock on the the laptop we were watching it on and i was like yeah okay i get it you know but yeah no they thought it was great and, and they were laughing and asking questions and like posing theories and like oh i bet this is gonna happen and i'm like yep i'm not gonna say anything but yeah exactly it was it was definitely worth the wait because if i had tried to shoehorn this one in a couple of years ago when we first started watching horror movies it would have been a yawn fest, you know, but at this point, Tegan has learned to appreciate like, okay, be patient, slow down. It's not all about like jump scares and gore in your face. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I think- it's a good starting point. If you're, if she's like, you know, I liked this flavor, you can kind of go to the opposite ends of the spectrum now. So you can have yeah. the drama and the tension in Night of the Living Dead, or you can have the mm-hmm. insane gore in Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to get them to watch Night of the Living Dead for a while, and every time it comes up, like we have a list of movies, uh, you know, I add some and, and they add some, and every time it comes up, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe next time, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, I haven't gotten there yet, and and I think that Tegan would like the remake even better than the original one, but uh, but yeah, I, I think Day of the Dead's probably going to end up being next. Now that we've seen Dawn of the Dead, I betcha if I say, hey, it's like Dawn of the Dead in terms of like quality and like tone, but like way gorier with like better characters, you know, like memorable characters. I think that that they would be into it. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, I I also, uh, I I definitely still love Land of the Dead as well. Like, I'm I'm a fan of Diary of the Dead. Survival of the Dead is a little rough around the edges, but uh, Land of the Dead, (laughs) I really like. Um, In fact, I remember, I'm sure, Josh, you probably remember me, like, I rushed to see it in the theater. And yep. was just like gushing about how freaking amazing it was after seeing it. And it it definitely it's definitely a product of its time. It feels early 2000s when you watch. Oh, it. yeah. But man, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. And it's again, it's it's the Romero pacing where it's just every moment of screen time. Something is happening. And it's uh, so good. But we I think we have... I would uh, really quick here rank. My love of these night, dawn, day, the remake of night, because I consider that to be official. Mm-hmm. And then land. And I don't even want to count survival and diary, but <laughs> like those, those two. See, I, I actually think I would put uh, Land of the Dead above the Night of the Living Dead remake, although I love the Night of the Living Dead. In fact, I love both night and dawn remakes. The the two Day of the Dead remakes. Ooh, God, those are awful. Um, I like them because they suck. I and like, they make me laugh. The, <laughs> that's the, it. The 2007 one I like because of how fucking insane it is. And there's at least two two scenes in the movie where I'm like, all right, that's actually a well made scene. But overall, I I think it's it's hot garbage, but it's entertaining. Yep. Um, the what is it? God, I forget the the second one with 
it's dawn of the, or day of the dead something is it like reckoning or retribution or uh, something? revenge <laughs> one of those damn r words there's day of the dead <laughs> to contagion and then there's oh god there's a one yeah. called bloodline is bloodline, it bloodline yeah. one of them Blood, that, yeah that's the and they're all kind of like remakes well there's one that's a sequel because um Richard yeah, Rubenstein kid. sold the rights of, for Day of the Dead and Creepshow to a company called Tartarus. Yeah. And they decided to make some really crappy sequels. And yeah, they made Creepshow 3. Mm-hmm. And they made Day of the Dead 2. And they're both like crimes against humanity. Day of the Dead 2, the <laughs> only thing I remember about. Because I, I bought it when it came out. And then I actually sold it back to Media Play before they closed. Um, I kind of wish I didn't because it's it's such a weird moment in film history. I, I kind of wish I still had the DVD. But uh, I remember me and Sam watching it. And we couldn't stop laughing at the two zombified guys watching some like made up movie where the one guy was. It was like it was like a Frankenhooker thing. And the one guy just goes, Franken ho. And I couldn't stop <laughs> laughing at that. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but Creep Show 3, I will say there, there's one segment with like, I don't even know what the hell he was supposed to be, the, but the monster with like the giant mouth of razor teeth. That was 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 a good enough segment for like a creep show story. The rest of that movie was absolutely awful. But I know we're we're on a on a fucking tangent, man. We haven't even gotten the cast. <laughs> it's a half an hour into this episode, and we are just touching on the cast now. It's what wait, we wait, do. Wait, wait, hang on. I got something else I want to talk about. Now. <laughs> I'll shut so, up now. So thankfully, the cast is small. Um, but uh, we're gonna go with uh, the the first player here is Stephen, aka Flyboy, played by David M.G. Uh, he was in The Devil and Sam Silverstein, The Liberation of Cherry J- Janowski. Basket Case 2 and Hellmaster. So the only one of those I've seen is Basket Case 2. He plays uh, Moonface. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's a he was a uh, theater actor, and he is retired now. Ah, okay. See, see, I knew you would know a lot of this stuff. Doesn't do um, conventions or anything. He's just sort of taking the knee, and he's out. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Peter, played by Ken Foray. Uh, he was in Night Riders. From Beyond, Death Spa, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, which I will get on here one day. That is, ooh, that's a rough one. Um, Leatherface, the third Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. He's in The Dentist, Dawn of the Dead 2004, The Devil's Rejects, Halloween 2007, Lords of Salem. The man is in a ton of, of low-budget and high-budget horror. Like, he's he's a great actor and a great guy. Horror um, royalty. Yeah, Don't no, he's, forget Keenan and Kel. Oh, of course. I mean, he's he's in a ton of <laughs> non-horror stuff, too. Yep. But but yeah, no, he's he's one of those guys. I remember at uh, Wizard World, he was there and he was just sweet to everybody. Yeah. Super, yep. super nice dude. He um, uh, runs a deli with his brother in California. Cool. Uh, no very, shit. I didn't a know very that. popular deli. <laughs> that's kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, then we nice. have Ro- Roger played by Scott H. I'm going to say this wrong. Was it Reininger? Reininger. Reininger. Um, he was in Knight Riders, The Other Victim, Falcon Crest, and Dawn of the Dead 2004. He didn't do a lot, but uh, I actually really love him in this movie, so it's kind of a shame he didn't do more. Now, for your next piece of pointless trivia, Scott Reiniger is uh, Middle Eastern royalty. His grandfather did some, like, he helped a tribe out in the Middle East, and they made him, like, a prince. 
oh, back sure. in like the turn of the century and like just through lineage he is too that's kind of crazy yeah <laughs> see i knew this would happen i was like i'm not even going to bother researching this stuff because <laughs> i know mike already knows it all no, 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 I'm glad because I was like, it saved, dude, it saved me a lot of time to look anything up. <laughs> uh, then last but not least, we have Francine, played by Galen Ross, uh, who the only things that I know her from are Madman and Creepshow. Yep. So uh, she has, uh, she's a pretty prolific documentary filmmaker. Oh, okay. And uh, I believe she still lives in Israel. Like she moved overseas and she's worth quite a lot of money. Wow. But she isn't, uh, she doesn't object to convention appearances when they do like the big Dawn of the Dead reunions. She's usually there. Scott Reiniger is usually there. Ken Forey and Tom Savini. Yep, I was going to say. And also, while I didn't write down any of his films, we also have Tom Savini. Uh, he's, he's basically just motorcycle member like number five. But eventually he gets the name Blades um, <laughs> in Land of the Dead. Because he yep. the zombie version of him comes back in Land of the Dead, which is pretty awesome. And um, you'll recognize every zombie from every convention ever in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very true. Uh, but for anyone that's been living under a rock or hasn't been able to get their hands on this movie because of the fucking dude who bought up the rights, um, the, the basic plot is, is following the ever-growing epidemic of zombies after Night of the Living Dead, uh, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. Um, it's very, it's a very simple movie. It's basically just about survival. And yeah. I love the way this film opens. Like this might be my favorite part of the movie is just the first 10 minutes of film. It's yeah. so chaotic and so wonderful. And, but I, I will say this about both Romero and fricking, um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, uh return of the living dead, uh, Dan, um, Dan, Dan both of them have this insanely good talent for being able to focus in a chaotic scene where they'll show you nothing but chaos on the screen, but you can still pinpoint what needs to be heard. And I, I don't know how they do it, but they do it in their movies and I fucking love it. <laughs> Nobody does chaos better than George Romero watch. And it's like a staple. It's like his signature in his movies. Not everyone, but you can watch like a uh, perfect example is the crazies is basically oh, yeah. like, it's like an, an extended version of this opening newsroom sequence of dawn of the dead where it's just like he manages to wrangle cats mm -hmm. and just have like everybody screaming there's tons going on it's a lot of like he just trusts the actors to ad lib but you can still focus on the main characters of what's going on he's really really adept at it well i, I read something about romero that he never used uh like storyboards or anything he just used the shot list and he would kind of explain to his actors the general feel of what needed to happen. And like, yeah, yeah. they had the script, but like he, yeah, he was totally cool with ad-libbing and like doing their own take on the idea of the script. And I was like, that's really cool. Like not a lot of directors trust their actors enough to do that. And he had to because they used a lot of free help. That's true. Uh, that so true. a lot of the cast are like local Pittsburgh natives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did this as like, holy crap, Night of Living Dead is like the biggest thing that's ever come out of where we live. Yeah, I want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to show up. I'm going to get some free food. If you know, you've know you got some speaking lines, maybe you'll get a couple bucks. Right. And uh, everybody wanted to be a part of it. So it, it was an honor. But at the same time, you can't expect somebody off the street to memorize lines. 
Exactly. So he's just got to, you got to give him the bullet points and let him loose and hope for the best. And, and, uh, and he was able to get the best out of these people. And it was more his wife, Christine Romero, um, and um, John Amplis, mm-hmm. who were kind of day to day wrangling people. John Amplis, you would know from Martin, was the casting director. Yep. Um, if you ever want to see like the making of all this, there's a great movie called Document of the Dead. Yes. That's just about the making of Dawn of the Dead. And you get like a great gist of everything that was going on. I, I really do love those those horror film documentaries like, you know, documented that I have yet to watch. But like there's the uh, the Never Sleep Again for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the Crystal Lake Memories, um, you know, more brains. Um, I forget what the leather or the Texas Chainsaw one is called, but they're, they're great. I, I love yep. those types of, of documentaries. But um, we, we open the film with Francine waking up from a nightmare in a TV studio. The studio is complete chaos. We see two men arguing on the air about the dead returning to life and what they should do. Meanwhile, they're running a list of emergency stations that people are to go to, but those those stations are no longer in service. Now, this is where we get our Romero cameo, but is I, correct me if I'm wrong. The woman next to him, is that his wife or some relation? Yep, that's, that is his wife, and they were married many years. They got divorced later on, and he remarried and moved to Toronto. But that is Christine Romero. That's what I thought, but I couldn't find it in anywhere in the trivia, and I'm like, I'm sure I remember reading that that was his wife yeah. sitting next to him. <laughs> and they were both uncredited. Yep. But, you know, it's like, you know that's George Romero. That's nobody else looks. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, you yeah. can't mistake that giant. <laughs> like, he's, yeah, you, you know him. But several things happen here. Uh, Francine shuts down the list of emergency stations because they're risking the lives of people by sending them to the shutdown stations. Uh, the guy in charge loses his mind, saying people are only watching because of the emergency list. And they'll stop if they stop running it. People will tune out. So basically, ratings over lives. Yep. Um, uh, the- a running theme, another running theme of Romero movies are news stations, and that's yep. because he spent a great deal of his time before he became like a full fledged filmmaker. In the eighties, he worked in news stations with world famous Mister Rogers. Yes. Actually, you know that's one thing I know. Man, we, this, we are going to be all over the place in this one, but. One of the things I got to mention in in defense of Diary of the Dead, and I've brought this up countless times. Speaking of the news station thing, this is a huge, huge theme in Diary of the Dead is the concept of social media and like uploading, you know, your own videos to the Internet and to YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Um, He's constantly questioning who's the one running the narrative. Like, and he even does that with the making of the film, how the girl who's filming it, she even mentions how she added stuff to the documentary, like music and stuff for flavor. So he's, he's, the whole thing is a commentary on when everyone can be behind the camera, can you truly trust anyone? And I was like, that's, that's mind blowing to me because that's like the scariest part about the movie is how much false information can be put out there into the Mm -hmm. world if given to the wrong, the pe- people with insidious, you know, wants. And I was like, damn, that's, that's cool. Because he shows on both sides. He shows like the official government response, which is equally evil. <laughs> and then he yep. shows like the people's response, which you're not getting the full story. And I was like, ah, oh, he, the man was a genius. But anyway, um, 
I, I like uh, at like this point, the entire crew is like, fuck this and is getting ready to leave. Like, and I love how the, the guy in charge yells at the guard, the, 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 fun, the like, little blonde mop headed guard. He's like, stop them. The guard's like, it just walks away. Quits. <laughs> yep. It, like, it, you? It's your first flavor or you get in whiffs that the world is just falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's, you know, what's more stable than the news? It's always there and they're not keeping it together. Exactly. And it's pretty frightening. It's kind of oh. setting this, the stage for like how messed up and bleak things are right well, out it, the door. Yeah. And in the, the first, like I said, the first 10 minutes of the movie, you get a feel for the entire world that this movie takes place in. Um, one of the men on the air explains, you know, so for anyone who didn't see Night of the Living Dead, he explains that the dead are motivated by food. They kill and eat their victims. The only way to stop them is to remove the head or destroy the brain. He goes on to explain that people are to be moved out of their homes and into central locations while the National Guard clean up and dispose of the dead. Now, we see uh, Stephen, a.k.a. Flyboy, comes in to get Francine. He tells her to meet her on the roof at nine. They're taking the helicopter and getting the hell out of there. She doesn't want to go at first, but one of her coworkers tells her they're going to be off the air at midnight. The emergency broadcast is taking over, so there's no reason to stay. Smash cut to a SWAT team trying to get a group of people out of an apartment building who refuse to follow the government orders and refuse to turn over their dead. The people uh, are let-, let me quote something here. Uh, this movie's playing in my head as you're talking about it. Uh-huh. Tells her we're going to be off the air. He looks into the camera and he says, our job here is done. Yep. And he kind of <laughs> He looks forlorn. Let me ask you guys a question, because this is where it's it's been answered. But I always have questions about it when I watch Romero has always specifically said these movies are in their own world each time they're taking place. You know, so like Dawn of the Dead came out in 1978. This takes place in 1978. Mm -hmm. But has there been a significant amount of time between the events of Night of Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead? Or did Night of the Living Dead happen like a month ago and the world is just falling apart really quickly? Or is this a slow progression of how bad things have gotten? I always feel that this, uh, that these two, that Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead are right on top of each other. Yeah. Because we see in the next scene, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, we see connections to Night of the Living Dead. And I think Day of the Dead, it, it almost feels like, okay, this is now like 10 years later. Like the world has fallen. People are living in small pockets, hiding, trying to still, like, figure out what the fuck to do. But, you know, we're screwed. And then by Land of the Dead, it's like, okay, New World Order. You know, but how long just... do you think is it's been between night and dawn? I would say literally, in like, maybe, maybe weeks. Okay. Yeah. I, don't even, I don't even think it's a month. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And we haven't gotten there yet. But, yeah, Mike, when you, you know, get through the plot a little bit more like they're going to get out in the countryside we're going to see like hunters and people out you know in the rural areas and to me that's like a direct pickup from where like night of the living dead left off right maybe not the next day necessarily but in terms of like those people are still out there doing the same thing that they were doing at the end of night so i don't think it couldn't be a lot of time i think months is maybe the most if you told me it was years i'd probably believe you but it doesn't seem to jive with like the way that the movies fit together. I think it's yeah. really probably days or weeks. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's months for me because I, I just, I've, this is for me watching the movie hundreds of times. It works either way. 
um, and this is something that I will point out as we go through the set pieces of the film. Romero, the only other director or creator that is good, maybe better than Romero at this, is George Lucas, where you can take any set piece from the film and just with your imagination or looking at things in the background, it can expand into its own story that would fill a movie and be insanely interesting. Oh, yeah. So, yes, you could just have a movie about the news station dealing with the world falling apart and how they're handling it. It would be a great drama and a set piece with zombies. Right. See, now, here, here's where, why I will say I feel like it's been weeks. Look at just in, in, in our lifetime. Look at what's happened like with, with COVID, for example. Once yeah. COVID got rolling, look at how quickly things devolved into chaos. You know, it was literally weeks. In, like, first you hear, you, you know, we were hearing the stories about it. It's like, oh, that's kind of scary. You know, no one was really, we really knew, didn't know much about it. And then, like, once the information started really hitting and people started really getting sick, you know, next thing you know, it was just, like, it, misinformation everywhere. People were panicking. People were nervous. We had people stockpiling shit. You know, it was, like, it, it devolved into chaos within weeks. And, yes, it got better. But quickly, that kind of blew up now in the event of something like this where it's like okay you know there's isolated incidents of the dead returning to life eating people you know and it's starting to blow up the way it did in night of the living dead now keep keep in mind like ben talks about night of the living dead the little diner that was attacked you know the the cars crashing all that so like these little rural towns are already seeing chaos and i think that it wouldn't take long for the news networks to start like reporting on this the military to get involved you know, mm -hmm. emergency services to start taking over. And by the point we start this film, everyone's freaking like, I mean, we have the military is basically kicking people out of their homes. They're trying to corral people up, trying to group people. I really do feel like, you know, weeks and, and yeah, like, like you guys said, months is like the absolute maximum, you know? Yeah. It, uh, it just happens so fast. You're right. COVID it, what did it take <laughs> five weeks yep. to hit, hit like Pico shitness? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't take long uh, at all, unfortunately. Yeah. And exactly. I think, I think that the beginning of this movie, the world is still in panic mode from the event and there's enough time has passed where they've tried to put some kind of restrictions in place and some kind of like, you know, social regulations to try to keep people safe or, you know, bring your dead out or whatever. But it's obvious that these are the early days of the panic and people are still out there. You know, and, and we saw in later movies that obviously the zombie plague becomes like a huge deal. But at this point, I don't know. I, I feel like if it get again, if it were years, it would be more of a normal like way of life. You know, it, it, yeah. things would, there just certainly wouldn't be people out there like hunting all the time. So, yeah, again, I think it's a couple of weeks, maybe. Well, yeah. and, and we even know, like over the course of the film, the course of the film takes a few months. Because, mm -hmm. like, obviously we know that, that Francine is pregnant, which we'll find out in a, in a little bit. But, you know, uh, watching the film, we find out Francine's pregnant. We see how she's kind of progressing throughout the film. But also, at the during the Raiders thing, Peter makes the comment of, like, looks like they've been living on the road for months. Yep. So, and, and you got to figure, once we get to the point where we have, like, groups of biker Raiders, society has collapsed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> And what's really interesting, and we really got to get back to the plot, but what's really interesting yeah. is that 
we see the crumbling infrastructure at the very beginning here, right? The, the, the TV stations are going offline. The security guards and the police are quitting. You know, people are like, oh, like I'm going to steal this van, a bunch of supplies and cigarettes and get out of here. We were seeing it crumble. Like they tried to hold it th- together and it's just slipping through their fingers. And then by the time the Raiders show up and they mention they've been on the road for months and it's like, has the world really devolved in those few months into like a lawless Mad Max wasteland? We don't see right. it, but that's always kind of how I pictured it. Like outside, inside the mall, they were living in this perfect little idyllic, you know, utopia. And outside the mall was, you know, it was a horror show. It's like Negan yep. and the Walking Dead is what I was thinking. You know, like people are out there making lives miserable for anybody who hasn't found a place to hide. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's almost like a stage play in, in in a way, because if you watch a stage play, you know, there's always stuff happening off like off stage right or stage left where the, the the actors are telling you what's going on but you're not seeing it because it's a stage play and <laughs> right. it's like here it's like they're they're living in the mall and we're watching those four but it's like we know out there you know over there bad shit's going <laughs> down <laughs> it's kind of an ingenious way to keep the budget low <laughs> but, exactly but yeah, so we have this apartment building, uh, you know, the people refuse to leave. They're led by a man named Mar- Mar- uh, Martinez. And here we meet Roger and Peter, two of our other main characters, aside from Francine and Steven. Uh, the, this entire sequence is fucking nuts. There's a racist bastard named Wooly who just wants to murder anyone and everyone, uh, which results in one of the most famous head explosions in horror history. Uh, so, like, basically, they're, they're waiting for the queue to go in. A bunch of guys come running out with guns. The SWAT team just start mowing them down. A couple of the SWAT team guys get killed. They tear gas the building. The guys put on gas masks and they rush in to start getting people out. Wooly goes nuts and just starts kicking in doors and blowing people's heads off. Um, which that I, I, I know famously the uh, the dummy that gets its head exploded by Wooly and the shotgun. I remember watching an interview with Savini where he said he'd filled the head with just a bunch of shit from the craft services table. <laughs> So there was like, you know, the fake blood and gore and stuff. But he was, I, I can't remember all the ingredients, but he said like anything he could grab that wasn't <laughs> eaten on the craft surface. Tank. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Straight from the horse's mouth, because I have asked Tom Savini personally back in his Savini.com website chat room days where he would come on <laughs> every Friday and talk to fans. The contents of the exploding head. Which oh, here we go is supposed to be used later in the movie, but we'll get to that. Apple cores, Fritos, and fake blood. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> which, when soaked in the fake blood formula, which he used, which is like caro syrup, uh, vinegar, water, and like coffee grounds, <laughs> would yeah. kind of make them look like brains. Nice. I I mean, it's a great sequence. It, it It's... I remember the first time I saw it, I laughed my ass off. But like, you know, I I've seen it a thousand times. I I used to you post the the exploding head gif all the time. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's such a it's such a great kill. Willie's gone ape shit, man. Yep. <laughs> uh, That's what. Okay. One of the, one of the things I like the most about this movie is how bad the special effects look. That like I, I the blood is the most unrealistic like you know cinema blood effects. The the explosions are so like unrealistic. You know, you know like the head explosions and things like the wounds and the blue skin. Like everything is like just technically awful. 
but I love it because it gives the the zombies a very specific, you know, um, a distinct look. Like you know, as soon as you see it, like this is Dawn of the Dead. You know, if you yep. see like a screenshot or a photograph of them somewhere, and I love that it's like an artistic take on it. And I don't know if Savini did it on purpose or he just had no fucking money and no experience at the time. I don't care because, again, to me, I love the artistic choice of you know, I'm not going for realistic corpses i'm going you know for a specific effect and i love that i love how terrible the zombies look and i think it's awesome well it's, they're okay. consistent yeah uh, uh, apparent apparently he tried to paint the zombies kind of a grayish color because of night of the living dead being black and white and he said that they he regretted doing that because they turned out looking blue on on film the, so the reason they're all blue or one flat color is because they didn't have the time for him, he didn't have a makeup crew. It was just Savini. He didn't have K&B yet. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have Greg Nectaro working under him. So he had to teach people how to do the zombie effects quickly yep. so they could mass produce yep. large crowds of zombies. That's why you yeah. you get the money shot zombies is what I call them, like the ones that look really cool here and there mm-hmm. where he could he had the time. Mm-hmm. But he was a one-man show with just his friends helping him. Yeah. <laughs> My we favorite. Mostly the bikers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. My my favorite was ones are every once in a while there's a crowd of zombies and you see them in the, at the end of this apartment building complex, uh, apartment complex uh, scene where there's like zombies being herded and there's always one right in the front that's just like blue makeup who like looks at the camera for a second. And yep. Like, <laughs> those, are, those are my favorite ones. You know. Yep. Like, I love how stupidly low budget like this is like a fucking like it's like a, it's a student film like a freshman student film and I love it though it adds it adds to the charm because you can make such an amazing movie out of something so ridiculous you know, it's the same reason like you read like Art Spiegelman's Mouse like the co- the, the comic book the graphic yep. novel right and it's like he drew all of the characters as like literal animals you know like mice and dogs and cats and you're like oh it's cute and then you read what, what it's about and you're like Jesus Christ this is the opposite of cute you know <laughs> exactly it's it somehow like it helps to ground the story and also it kind of takes the edge off of how horrible everything is you know and then and a lot, I think it allows you to enjoy the story at a sort of detached distance you know and so again I'm sure it was all done just out of necessity but I love the effect we get at the end of it because yeah, you can enjoy this like bleak, bleak movie kind of at arm's length. Yeah, no, I totally agree. This but, apartment building, the more I watch Dawn of the Dead, that is more interesting to me than the mall. This is the most interesting part of the film because the implications of what's going on there of yeah. you've got a Latin American community in I never remember it, but you're gonna you're gonna tell us about the priests in a few minutes, I'm sure. Oh yeah. They're in this building, they're supposed to take their dead out to be disposed of. Yes. But they won't because they still believe that there's respect in dying. Yep. And there's such a great story going on there that they just touch on it. But if you just stop and think about it, it's amazing. Of like what the you know, what the fuck happened that they're keeping the dead in the basement. And it's to the point where, like, a SWAT team had to come in and take care of things. Well, um, keep, keep in mind that the reason the SWAT team was coming in was because at that point, the the, the National Guard was already trying to corral people and get yeah. them into central areas. And this whole community was like, fuck you, we're, we're standing our ground. And that's why they sent the, the SWAT. They're like, OK, well, now we have armed people refusing to work with us. So go in and get him. But this is a theme in, in all of Romero movies where he, he has a thing about like government taking people from their homes or taking rights away 
from the people. Like this happens in the crazies. Like we see the exact same thing happen in the crazies. Um, but yeah, he has, he, he definitely likes to pinpoint that. Like, can you truly trust the government? Can you truly trust the people in authority? Like he's, he's always poking <laughs> at like society. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so in th- this whole sequence is, is fucking bonkers. Uh, Peter ends up killing Wooly, rightfully so. Um, the zombies get out and start eating people. SWAT, SWAT members and residents alike are getting shot or killing themselves. And I love the scene where the one guy, the, the zombie gets out and gets to the apartment and the woman goes to hug him and he just fucking bites her neck and then her yep. arm. It's, oh, it's so fucking gnarly. Miguelito. But, yes. So like when, oh, her, hmm. her husband or boyfriend or something has been boarded up in a room. He's clearly a zombie and he comes out and she thinks that, you know, nothing has changed. He's still in there and he rips her neck apart. And just the way, like when he gets that bite of her arm though, man, that bite is deep. Like yep. it's, it's oh, a yeah. chunk of arm that comes off. It's like, oof, that's freaky. Um, but yeah, the, the zombies are, are down in the basement being looked after by a one legged priest. Like the whole thing is fucking bonkers. Um, but Roger heads down into the basement and ends up in a standoff with Peter. P- uh, Peter knows that Roger was in Wooly's unit. And since Peter killed him, he's assuming there's going to be trouble. Roger tells him that he didn't see anything, didn't see how he died. So basically letting Peter know, I don't give a fuck. I'm on your side. Yeah. The two, two shoulder their guns and talk over a smoke. Roger. So explains, oh, oh, continue. I have a point when you're done. I say Roger explains to Peter that his friend has a helicopter and plans to get the hell out. Suddenly one legged priest. <laughs> the priest tells them that he just wants to pass to meet his sister. And he explains that the people in the building will now do what they want. He goes on to say that the dead are in the next room. He has given them their last rights and they can do what they will. He goes on to make a very ominous remark saying, you're stronger than us, but soon I think they'll be stronger than you. And then he starts walking away and he goes, when the dead walk, yours, we must stop the killing or we lose the war. He then hobbles away. It's like, oof, that's chilling. Like, I my, love it. my favorite character in the movie. Oh, he's, he's great. Just and, how he's surviving. He's there to see his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's really got a grasp of what's going on. (laughs) Yep. But again, uh, this is a Romero staple. Every one of Romero's movies has not only interesting zombies in the background, like there's always like, hey, look, the clown zombie, the nun zombie, the fat guy in the flippers. Like there's always some kind of weird zombie. But he also has very unique side characters. Like in Diary of the Dead, we have the mute guy who's writing on the, you know, on the little chalkboard around his neck. The Amish Um, guy. yeah, the yeah, the Amish dude who's mute. Um, then we have the uh, the guy in Land of the Dead. I always forget his name, but the per- he's like the crack shot, but he has like half of his face is burned. Oh, I thought you were you gonna know. talk about the Samoan guy. Oh, the Samoan guy's great too. But I mean, there's thirty five thousand like... cars in Samoa, all stolen. <laughs> I love that. But again, each of his movies, he has a unique looking character. I think Night of the Living Dead is the only exception to that rule, but that's because it was so isolated. It was just the the one house of people. But uh, I just I, again, Romero staple that I love. So but, um, if you ever want to dive deep and obsess about Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead in particular, pick up the uh, movie adaptation books. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of people give John Russo, the uh, co-creator of Night of the Living Dead shit for being like a hack who will do anything he can to kind of cash in on Night of the Living Dead. But he's mm-hmm. an amazing writer. Yeah, I've been meaning to buy that that uh, what is it, the Night of the Living Dead sequel? 
book? Return of Living Dead. Return of yeah, Living Dead. Yes, so yes, yes. he uh, he writes books like kind of like dime store westerns. Mm-hmm. They they get to the point they're very good, but Night of Living Dead expands on a lot of background stuff that you think they wanted to throw in the movie, but they kind of couldn't for budget reasons or like they didn't have the ability, and it fleshes out the story more. Dawn of the Dead is paced entirely differently, whereas the bulk of the story takes place in the apartment building and them running away and it kind of ends at the mall. So you get like expanded relationship building with uh, Peter and Roger. Nice. And it really hits harder when people die. Yeah. But you also get a grasp of like what's going on at this, this apartment complex uh, and like how they're both kind of coming to terms with how fucked up things are and mm-hmm. they just want to run. I was gonna say this. Uh, this next sequence is actually one of the the most frightening things in the film for me, um, where we we cut to we see the the military guys and the SWAT guys like busting open a barricaded door. So there's like these wooden slats barricaded across a door, and they bust the door open between the slats, and just there's this fucking wave of undead that break out and come into the hallway, and th- they have no leverage because it's like. The military guys are all in the hallway, but the zombies start pouring out and like pushing over top of them. But there's a point that uh, Josh was talking about a minute ago, where right when this happens, when they first bust out, there is one person who looks right at the camera, <laughs> like one zombie who's like peekaboo. Yeah, and the slats are like the cheapest wood you've ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. don't know how they it, held anything. It's balsa I know. wood. <laughs> yeah. And like there aren't even any even any nails or anything. You can tell some some of the actors were like pretending to push the wood out while they were actually just holding it in place. Yep. And yeah. the, the door clearly like opens inside. Yep. <laughs> so like if any zombie figured out to just pull instead of push, they'd have a problem. Good thing they're dumb. But back in the uh, basement, we see Peter and Roger go into the room with the dead, and we see one of those storage cages that are in the bottom of most apartment buildings. Um, and it's just filled with zombies and wrapped corpses that are still moving. And the zombies are kind of like eating something like we don't know if they were feeding them or what was going on. But one by one, Peter and Roger start shooting them in the head, putting them down. And this is actually where we, where we get the little line of dialogue that you mentioned, Mike, where Roger says, why do these people keep them here? And Peter says, because they still believe there's respect in dying, which, again, another chilling moment. But uh, we cut to Francine and Steve arriving at a police outpost where they're supposed to meet Roger. Um, now, I know this is cut from the main film, but since we watched the extended cut, I'm going to go into it. Um, a few men, uh, the few men that are there are dead. They begin refu- refueling the chopper and get jumped by a few remaining cops who are about to go on the run like everyone else. They argue back and forth on whether or not they should steal the chopper from them, but they decide it can't carry all of them and or can't carry all the cops. And besides, if Steve dies, there's no one to fly it. Mm-hmm. Just then Roger and Peter pull up and everyone decides it would be silly to try to kill each other. So they go their separate ways. Fun cameo from Joe Plato, Plato, whoever, you know, you pronounce it, also known as Rhodes from Day the oh, Dead. I didn't even fucking notice that. Yeah, is he, he, he's the main cop that, that's that's threatening him, isn't he? He's one of the quote unquote cops. Yeah. Uh, Shit, as soon as you said that, it, like I could see him. I'm like, holy crap, I didn't notice it. Because he was a native Pittsburgh actor, but then you can kind of make the expansion of like, is he the same guy? Like, does he have an adventure to make it to Day of the Dead? Because there's the main guy in 
survival of the dead who, who cameos in, in Diary of the Dead is also in land. Mm-hmm. Is he the same guy? Exactly. Well, he's supposed to be. Yeah. From so, what Romero said on the co- on the commentary track, yeah, he's supposed to be because Diary of the Dead and and Survival of the Dead happened during the the outbreak where Land of the Dead is where it's like the the penultimate, like where everything en- ends yeah. up. So, so even though Diary and Survival came after, it's supposed to take place during like the dawn day craziness. So you'd have to use your imagination, but it's possible that that Joe Palato somehow ends up in Florida and in the army. That's yeah, no, that's cool. Um, hell, maybe he just put on a on a military suit and just started calling the shots. You never know. The, the world has uh, fallen apart. Just like he put on a police officer's outfit. Yep. But uh, Roger introduces Steve and Francine to Peter, and immediately Francine is like, "Can the chopper hold the extra weight?" And I <laughs> love the look that Peter gives her. He's just like, "This bitch right here. I know you didn't just call me fat." <laughs> like, yeah. The look he gives her is so damn funny. There's also a running gag with the Raiders that they meet. They ask him if they have any cigarettes. Yeah. Well, that's, they that's, all say that's no. right here. He goes, <laughs> we, we get the, the great little moment where one of the cops goes, hey, do any of you have any cigarettes? <laughs> They're like, nope, sorry. And as soon as they get in the chopper, they all start smoking. <laughs> that's awesome. I also love the dopey grin on the guy's face because he's like, where, where are you headed? And he's like, to the island. And they're like, which island? Well, any of them. And then he goes, what about you guys? And he goes, straight up. And he stops like he can't imagine what he means. And then he goes, oh. And he's got this huge grin on his face. He's so got that like funny. 90s surfer where he's like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah, good. I love it. Well, it, it, it was cool, too. Uh, and Tegan and I noticed this time uh, that they mentioned going to the islands. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, Because in the remake, they obviously, you know, there's the whole element when they go to the islands at the end. And like, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. They've seen the remake a bunch of times. And I never realized until just two days ago, I was like, oh, that's a fucking reference to the first movie when they go to the island at the end. Duh. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, but... I remembered that, like, uh, the, remember when we watched uh, Dawn of the Dead for, uh, for actually for the show? I th- you, you were on that one, Josh, right? Yeah, the remake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When we were covering that, because I had went back and watched the original after we watched the remake, and I was like, oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> Look <Yeah>. at that! <laughs> I don't know why I never connected it. Until, I, I was watching it more carefully this time, you know, because before, mm-hmm. this is a comfort, you know, movie for me, so I don't think I really paid that much attention to it in a long time, because, like, you put it on, and it's just a fun movie, and I've seen it a hundred times, and so I don't really notice those things until I'm watching it, like, critically, and I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that! Yeah. Um, but yeah, you are right, Mike. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was just Googling it. Yeah, Joe Pilato is, he's the, yeah, he's the main guy there who's pretending to be a cop. The one who was like threatening uh, yep. uh, Peter directly with like the, like the winter hat on, the little two cat on. And yep. He, yep. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the, and I'm like, oh shit, you're right. That's cool. But this is also <laughs> kind of just to set up how desperate and stupid people are. Oh Because yeah. this takes place in Pennsylvania, probably Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. There's no islands for hundreds of miles. Yep. Well, uh, well, where are you going? <laughs> and that's see, that's another detail that I never realized until this watching it, because I was thinking the same thing. I just assumed it was Pittsburgh because Romero loves Pittsburgh. Philadelphia. Right. Philadelphia. Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. That's what I figured out. I know because I'm because I'm think, watching it this time thinking like, man, they sure were flying that fucking helicopter a long ass time to go to Greensburg. Like, it's not that far away. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're from, from Philly. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I didn't and I just assumed it must have been Philadelphia or New York. But then, yeah, later on in the movie, there's a couple of mentions of like on like on like the TV of like Philadelphia. And I think uh, either Roger or Peter, one of them mentioned something about like, you know, could have stayed in Philly. And mm-hmm. yeah, 
Well, again, think details I never noticed, or maybe I maybe I noticed it the first time I watched it, you know, twenty years ago. It's right. Yeah, it's Peter, and if you pay attention to the news broadcast where they have like the stations you're supposed to meet at for like safety, it gives you a better mm-hmm. idea of the geography. Uh, but even then, you, are you going to take a boat from Philadelphia to where? Yeah, any of them? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like you're going to go to survival of the dead, I guess, if you can make it that far. But they, you know, clearly we know only Joe Polito survives. Well, Rhodes. Yeah, I was gonna say he murdered everybody else and lightened the load. Yeah, but so they they fly through the night, and and this is where we fly over the rednecks from Night of the Living Dead, and we get the the ha- the fantastic little montage of the military and the rednecks out hunting humans. And I immediately, every time I see the scene, I hear the Misfits song in my head start playing. You know, they're, they're out yeah. there hunting humans. And you just see, like, the rednecks are having a good old time. They're just, they're blowing up cars. They're oh, yeah. shooting down zombies. Like, they're drinking beer, having little freaking pig roasts. They don't care. Yeah. And this is like, also another, like, staple of Romero movies of, like, bumpkins doing bumpkin things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> set to, like, stock music. country music. Yep. <laughs> Oh, but so they they land at an airstrip and try to refuel. Now, before you get to this refueling, there is a classic line where Fran is in the back. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) uh, you get some stuff for like Steven has fallen asleep. Uh, Roger's riding up front with him and she's talking to Peter and she says. You leaving anybody behind? And he says some brothers and she says, well, real brothers are street brothers. He says. To, you know, to reply to her, both. Mm-hmm. I have always wanted my own secret club, like, a, uh, you know, for my secret society that I don't have yet. <laughs> and to get into the secret society, there is like a speakeasy where you have to knock on a door and a little slot will open and you have to answer the password to get into the secret club. And it's going to be real brothers or street brothers. <laughs> and you have to say both. That's how you get into the club. <laughs> That's how I know you've seen Dawn of the Dead. And that you're down. <laughs> Anybody else? It's like, oh yeah, real brothers. And I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. Bye. <laughs> you failed. <laughs> you know the the hatch opens up in the ground underneath them, and they they disappear. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You got prudent people that you're down. Exactly right. Exactly. But, you know, what you answer that question properly. That is the secret handshake. <laughs> to <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead into the club. I just like the door. <laughs> but now that that scene, yeah, I always forget about that. Like where they're they're kind of they're kind of getting to know each other because Peter asks her if you know if uh, she's with Stephen, and she says most of the time, and he goes, "I just like to know who I'm with." Yeah. And then yeah, then they start talking about their past. Um, now, but they, this is also before you you go to the airport. A hmm. great movie you can approach from odd angles and get a better you can get a different story like say you've seen star wars a hundred times if you watch it from the perspective of the rebels or the empire you can enjoy it in a different way right Mm -hmm. i'm using star wars as an example because there's a lot of parallels between the romero dead trilogy and the star wars og trilogy um when i was watching it in 3d this you know viewing number 97 or or whatever Mm -hmm. i approached it it just kind of hit me like holy crap this is Peter, one of the sole black characters in this movie, going into this crazy white universe yep. and doing all the stupid things that white people want to do. And it starts <laughs> the minute he gets on the helicopter. Yep. And the rest of the movie is just like 
his continuing bad choices as he follows the lead of all the stupid crackers, honkies, white people, <laughs> whatever, as they make insane choices. And if you watch it from that angle, it's an entirely different movie. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> so they, they land at this airstrip. Uh, the pumps are mostly empty, but they find some fuel. While Roger is refueling, the rest look around. Stephen and Francine go to check out the hangars, and Peter goes and pokes around in the office. Peter has an encounter with two little zombie kids here that are pretty dang fast, and actually the only two zombies in the entire Romero universe that <laughs> run instead of shuffle. Uh, uh, this More trivia, this yep. is Tom Savini's niece and nephew. And they didn't tell Ken that they were going to be children. He told uh, he was he was told that zombies were going to come out. So that look of shock on his face when they first come running out was actually, you know, Ken kind of shocked that the kid the zombies were kids. So I thought that was fun. That was a fun little piece of trivia I was reading about. Uh, also, the only time where there's no actual squid hits, it's just kind of funny editing. Yeah. So you hear machine yeah. gun noises and it, it cuts back and forth to close ups of the kids bouncing on furniture. Yep, exactly. Um, this is a great scene if you've got the Blu-ray. Pause it. When Peter walks into this airport, which is uh, a local landmark, you can still visit it if you go to Pittsburgh. Um, on the wall, there's just tons of notes for people who have fled in private airplanes. And there's a, a movie in itself of the stories that are being told of, like, Josh needed insulin mm -hmm. headed to Evansville. Take your pick. Right. You can just pause it and zoom in and read all the crazy stuff, and it's really cool. Well, that's also an, a, another staple of the zombie genre after this film, um, where tons of zombie films, zombie comics, zombie video games have those moments where you go into a city or a town or a, a, a once populated area and you see photos and notes to loved ones. Um, in fact, in um, uh, Dead Island, they have that uh, the video game and I know the walking dead did it. And like, there's, there's just tons of other zombie fiction that has utilized that little piece of, uh, I, I guess, trope for zombie yeah. movies. Uh, 28 and, days later is probably the most famous. Right. Well, cause they really focus on it on 28 days yeah. later, but like it, it is in a ton of other stuff, but um, I love in, in the hangar. how Steven has this awkward tussle with a balding zombie while Francine just watches like he, she literally does nothing. And he's just like throwing himself on top of this bald guy. And they're just like rolling around. <sighs> this scene just establishes how <laughs> useless Steven is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, we got to be honest, any of us would probably have the same fight scene. Oh yeah. No, if, it's, it's a very realistic fight scene. If you're not a fighter. He gets a hammer. He thinks he knows karate. He like tosses his body. It's awkward. Well, yeah, because he smashes the the bald zombie in the head with the hammer that he gets. But then there's another zombie walking up behind Francine, and she still looks like she has a horse tranquilizer up her ass. She's just kind of standing there, and then he just runs and throws himself, like literally leaps through the air and tackles the zombie. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um. Yeah, I watched this with Tegan, and like all that Tegan could say was like, "What are you doing, bitch? Move!" <laughs> like, right? 
do something. You're just standing there like a statue. And I'm like, yeah, we haven't seen Night of the Living Dead yet. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> God, Barbara. I'm used to that reaction. Yeah, God, uh, exactly. You know, if you want a good answer of how long the zombie epidemic is going on, the deer in headlights reaction of Fran and Steven is a good indicator that this is relatively new. Yes. Um, but we also get one of the other famous kills in this movie, uh, we get the zombie head chopped by the helicopter. So we get a zombie walking toward Roger and he's kind of like knocking over these crates that are near the helicopter and he climbs up on top of them and then the blades fucking scalp the top of his head off. And it's, I mean, the, it, you can tell if you, if you look close enough, like if you squint at it, it's a great scene. But if, if you really look at it, the guy clearly has his head built up. <laughs> so something Savini does is he, when he was doing effects, I don't know why he stopped. Um, he finds people that look weird. There's something about them and he's like, oh my God, I can do a great effect. They're casting zombies for this movie. This guy shows up with a really low head. Yep. I remember and reading this too. <laughs> Savini gets the idea of like, oh, I'll build it up. And what they did is those helicopter blades are animated. Yep. Those aren't there. He walks in a crate and Savini's off screen with his favorite tool, fishing line. Yep. And he zips the top of his head off and they squirts blood and the guy falls over and dies. It is a great sequence. Like, yes, it's silly, but man, it's such a fun kill. And Roger is just like, what? (laughs) Like he's, did I do that? Roger holds his gun like he's going to shoot him. And then he just kind of smirks when the zombie falls. (laughs) But then we get uh, some terrible, like a terrible sh- a thing of, of Steven just pelting zombies with bullets. Like he just, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He also he sees owns- one of the most famous zombies in the movie, the airport zombie. Yep. Um, Coming heading at, towards at Peter. Peter in the airport restaurant, mm-hmm. whatever, who had just shot some kids and he's trying to drink some coffee. Uh, yep. Fun fact, this is one of the four toys that i made through josh yep um my monroeville minis <laughs> uh minifigures it was swat peter swat uh roger roger the airport zombie and uh flyboy zombie flyboy well yeah if you haven't seen the movie yet he turns into a zombie. <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> uh, we say spoilers at the stop at the top of the movie. we've already mentioned several times that francine is correct um, <laughs> right <laughs> but um but yeah no that i i remember trying to to find the right stances for each of those characters when in in the super deformed style we were going for um but yeah that when when the uh airport zombie is coming at peter here peter's ready to shoot him and he sees flyboy aiming the gun at him he jumps out of the way and flyboy cannot he he's just he's like a fucking stormtrooper he can't hit his mark so he's just <laughs> shooting holes in this zombie and finally uh, Roger comes up, knocks the the gun away, and takes a pot shot, and you know hits him in the head. But then Peter makes Stephen Brown his undies. He comes out at him and holds the gun on him. He's like, "You shouldn't point guns at people. Scary, ain't it?" Never point a gun <laughs> at anyone, Mister. Scary, ain't it? <laughs> and that's also a point where like Fran, you watch her closely, gets like a little bit of respect for him. Yep, because she yep. doesn't really have the deepest relationship with Stephen. Oh, no, and, that becomes apparent real quick. Uh, the fact that Peter kind of puts him in his place because he's got a little bit of an ego is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. So they all get back in the chopper and they discuss trying to find fuel. Uh, they want to avoid cities and any well-populated areas. 
We find out just how ill-prepared they really are. No food, no water, no radio. They have no idea where they're supposed to be going. They, they mention Canada, which is something that comes up a couple of times in Romero films. Um, but they haven't really come up with a good plan yet. And since Steven is the only one that can fly the chopper and clearly needs some sleep, they got to find somewhere to land. So fly- if you ever want to pay off for Canada, mm-hmm. I am so sorry about this podcast being ridiculously long. Uh, <laughs> Before Romero died, he was working on a zombie book called Death of a Death. He started publishing chapters in the early 2000s where you could download them individually. I remember and he that. And he kind of walked away from it. So uh, his wife paid somebody, a ghostwriter, to kind of finish it on his notes. I guess Romero got about half the book done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes place in Canada. Yep. So that was a, a plot. They actually make it. Uh, part of that was because Romero moved to Toronto, but other parts were just he liked the idea of Canada being like safe harbor. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they, they mention it uh, again in, in Land of the Dead. That's where they they, they end up going at the end of the film. Um, but yeah, so it, it's definitely something that, that pans out in his zombie fiction. But they fly through the night again and they come upon a huge mall. They decide to land on the helipad on, on the roof. They check through the skylights and see that most of the zombies that are in the mall are on the first floor. And that the gates to all the stores are still closed. So they comment and they comment on how the power is still on in the area. So they decide we can hole up here for a little while. They break in, get into a storage room. Uh, Steven gets to nap and the others all dine on spam because there's these giant <laughs> containers of spam. Fran can't open the can of spam. Another well, no. line I quote all the time. <laughs> well, because she she complains. She was like, Ugh. and he goes, or what did he say? He goes, did you bring a can opener? And she goes, no, he goes, then don't knock it. It's got its own key. <laughs> you see yeah. Roger open it up and start eating it with a knife. Uh, they also comment that power must be nuclear where they are, which is Pittsburgh, which is why the power in the mall is still on. But they needed that as a plot device because what good is a mall without any power? Exactly. Um, so after a bit, Peter and Roger decide that the mall has a lot of untapped resources that they can use. Francine protests, but they give her a gun and tell her to guard the door while they go check it out. We now get a wonderful montage of Peter and Roger getting the keys to the pl- getting the keys to the palace, turning on all the lights, fountains, and music of the mall while they run around corralling the zombies and looting the place. Now, Mike, I'm sure you know this because I, I have I have a little note here to question if this is real because again, it's something I could not find uh, uh, trivia on, but I remember hearing it that the music was added to the film because they couldn't shut the mall music off because it was tied to all the lights. Is, do you know if that's true? That's true. Okay, that's what I thought. So, I remembered reading that somewhere, but I wasn't 100% sure. They had to film at the mall once the mall closed, and they had yes. to be out by 6 a.m. because mall walkers would show up. Yep. So the mall was like, yeah, you can shoot here. We're totally cool with it, but we can't piss off the senior citizens of walk in the mall, which is a thing in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, uh, as Romero likes to do when he he didn't have a soundtrack initially, so he was using stock free stock music. So he got that German do 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 and that that's kind of carries over in the movie. Um, until uh, Dario Argento came on, then he got the goblins to come in oh, and give that. you. It sounds goofy at first, but Jesus, they're such earworms. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that soundtrack is just gold. It's very desolate, and I, I yes. love it. Ugh. 
Um, yeah, that, that trivia about the music is actually really interesting too. And that goes back a long way because that first time that I saw this movie way back in like the year 2000 with my old boss at the gas station, he mentioned that while we were watching it, like, ha, they couldn't turn the music off. So they just like wrote it into the story. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's so cool. And so I've, I've had that stuck in my head for all these years. I'm sure he probably read it in some Fangoria or something, but anyway. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things. I, I think I, I think it was either a Romero interview um, or maybe even the commentary track. There was something, some bit of trivia. I remember them talking about that in specific, but when I was doing the research for, for this uh, recording, I couldn't find it listed anywhere. And I'm like, damn it. Did I imagine that? Like, no, that, was it like a I, fever dream I had? I think it's in the commentary track for Dawn of the dead. Yeah. And once you see it, you can, I'm hearing it in my head right now. There's like a slide whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, do 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 boop. It, it just <laughs> yep. plays every time they're in the mall. <laughs> I love it. So a few things happen here. Like once they they get things going, uh, they basically use the uh, two floor department stores. They will get the the attention of the zombies on the lower floor and then escape to the upper floor. So pretty solid plan. Uh, Francine wakes Stephen up and tells him what the guys are up to. She wants to just bail on them, but Stephen refuses and goes to see what they're doing. Um, there's a moment where Roger's rifle gets stolen by one of the zombies, which is something we'll see pop up later throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to close the department store, uh, door and zombies are kind of piling in and one of them just grabs his gun and Peter's like, let it go, man. <laughs> and then, like the zombies just looking <laughs> down the barrel, walking away. <laughs> he is it. a reoccurring I zombie love the entire film. He just walks around pointing a gun in his face as a running it. joke. But, um, so Stephen finds a book of blueprints for the building and finds air vents that they can use to travel around. This is something that will come in handy throughout the rest of the film. Uh, but he also almost gets himself killed because he's a fucking idiot and a bad shot. So we see the moment there's a zombie following him and he just starts like shooting blindly at the zombie and bullets are ricocheting around the room. Um, and then finally, when the zombie gets close enough for him to shoot, he's out of ammo. So like he quickly runs and tries to reload it. The zombie almost gets him. He falls over, doesn't know what bullet or where the bullet is in the in the gun. So he keeps clicking and clicking and clicking until finally he shoots the zombie in the fucking head. Um, I also love the the scene where uh, P- Peter and Roger are like kind of making their way <laughs> through the uh, through the, the zombies, and Peter just hucks what's clearly a dummy over the railing, <laughs> like he picks it up <laughs> and throws it, and it's just like flopping in the air. <laughs> And yeah, this was the moment when Tegan was just like, yes, yeet, yeet. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) But Steven almost leads the zombies back up to their hideout. Like he goes running back toward the stairwell. And uh, but Peter manages to get him to get away from there, telling him you don't want to lead the zombies back up there. But one of the zombies hangs back while Peter and Steven and Roger get back to their zombie corralling and looting. You also um, get a fun scene of the screwdriver to the ear zombie. Yes. Once they get back into the department store, I love this kill. So there's just a zombie pretending to be a mannequin. <laughs> it's just like standing with the mannequins and it tackles Roger. And he's like wrestling with it. And he pulls the freaking screwdriver from its belt, yeah. sticks it in its ear and twists. It's done with different sized soda straws. And a rubber screwdriver handle full of fake blood. So good. Such a great death scene. 
Um, but you know, the guys all kind of figure out like they got a good thing going in this mall and maybe they should stay there for a while. So they use the air ducts that Flyboy found to get past the zombies. Meanwhile, the zombie that held back or uh, you know, stayed back is the Hare Krishna zombie. Um, and he makes his way up to the stairwell leading to the storeroom where they're hiding. Can I just say how difficult it is to explain to somebody younger than like a millennial what the fuck, <laughs> a, Hare, what the fuck a Hare Krishna even is? Like Tegan asked me like why does like what is up with this character's haircut? And I'm like fuck man, I gotta explain what this is for you to like get it, you know? <laughs> oh man, you know the funny thing too is like you're gonna have to explain to them like there's so many '80s movies where mm-hmm. Hare Krishnas are a thing. <laughs> so, like, yeah. De- airplane. Depending- <laughs> yeah, airplane. <laughs> yeah. De- depending on how far down the 80s rabbit hole you two go, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of explaining. That's what I said, too. I was like, man, it's like back in the 80s and 90s, like everybody was always picking on Hare Krishnas. They were the butt of so many jokes because they're like a cult, but they're kind of like cute and cuddly about it. You know, right. like- <laughs> <laughs> they're the friendly cult. It are was they even like- a thing anymore? Yeah, I, I, I just Googled it because I, I, I knew it was coming up and I'm like, fuck, I don't even know. But yeah, technically they're still they're still around. But yeah, they've just fallen really like out of you know popularity. But like, yeah, they were <laughs> it was like, come join my religion where it's like super like pacifistic, like anti-war and all that stuff. is great. But like the way that they were treated in 80s movies was like, look at these fucking pussies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they pop right? up in everything from police academy to freaking, you know dawn of the dead like they're in everything oh my god yeah the 80s was a t- testosterone decade that was not kind to the Hare Krishnas you nope. know at least not in movies but okay anyway anyway moving they're on like what do you mean fuck war <laughs> everything's <laughs> about being a real American hero damn it Ronald Reagan says I'm supposed to punch you yeah exactly I, I'm supposed to ride a nuke into Russia like oh Jesus but so anyway Francine sees a zombie coming up and tries to barricade the door, which he pushes away, which makes me question how fucking strong this Hare Krishna zombie is, because he knocks all the barricade over. Yeah, but she doesn't try that hard. She only put like four or five boxes up. They had like a whole fucking stack of like 20, 30 boxes before. Like she's so afraid, like she froze earlier that she might as well be frozen now because she puts like four boxes up and then she's like, I got to get out of here. And like... (laughs) kind of climbs the ladder i mean it's like she's never seen a ladder before trying to figure it out you know <laughs> i mean you're not wrong but she's got that <laughs> romero cliched hysterics for women yeah that's exactly that's the like with the fucking barbara and it was but it's silly because and they drag it out for so long that it's so obvious that romero was just like just give him time to catch up with you and she's just like oh i fell oh i fell again you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do i do <laughs> But yeah, so he he gets in there. Francine has no weapons, but she uses a road flare to freak him out pretty bad, which cracks me up every time because he's like, Meh, fire bad. Like the reaction to the zombies with fire is always funny to me. But the guys make their way upstairs and they find the zombie trying to get Francine and they kill it. I like how Steven basically just pets Francine while she's damn near catatonic. <laughs> he's just like petting her head like they're there now. It's OK. Drink but- some whiskey. <laughs> but so like this this is where act one kind of ends so what are you guys thinking at this point oh love it 
Yeah, I absolutely I love this movie. This time watching it, I was getting almost a little impatient because I'm like, hurry up and get to the mall, get to the good, get to the good stuff. At least you know for me, um, right. I did really enjoy the um, the apartment building sequence a lot more this time. Watching it a little bit more critically and sort of following along all the different players a little bit more closely than I'm used to. Because again, for me, this movie has been just such a comfort food movie that I haven't like really paid attention to it in a long time. So it was kind of cool. Uh, to to see that, but yeah, at this point now where we sort of dropped off with the Hare Krishna attack is like, okay, cool. Like, it, this is a pretty low dip for the end of Act One, and I'm ready for them to like get into the good shit. Um, but yeah, and overall, like, I think this is awesome, and I and but also there's the sense of tension that's already starting to build where. I, having seen the movie before, know that like bad shit is going to happen, but at the same time. Steven's a fucking idiot. Like Flyboy sucks. <laughs> Roger is cool, but he he's already showing this very, you know, rash, impulsive attitude that's just gonna get worse. And yeah. like there's the, there's there's an sense of like impending dread where like oh, Peter seems to be the only one with his head screwed on tight and you you know shit's just about to fall apart. So yeah, I think this is a great great way to lead into the the second uh, the second little uh, uh, section here. And Peter is thinking, like, why did I get in the helicopter with those white motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> crack yeah. ass, crack ass. <laughs> um, see, now, I, I absolutely love this, the whole opening, because it, it's, it's so, it shows you how, first of all, how chaotic it is. I, I explained that at the beginning. But it shows you how some people are just refusing to give up their creature comforts. They're refusing to give up life as they know it, while others are like, fuck it, it's the end of the world. Like, you know, the shit, shit's gone bad quick, you know, and it's just I love seeing the different reactions of all the different characters right down to our main four of like how, you know, Peter, Stephen and uh, and 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 Roger, they kind of like what they got in the mall. They don't want to give up their comfort. And Francine is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like th- this shit's bad. We can't stay here. Like everybody has a different reaction for, that we've seen so far. And I, I love that. I love it because it does feel very much like the world is ending. And again, compare it to COVID. Look at how people reacted. Some people are like, I don't want to change my lifestyle. My lifestyle is what it is. Fuck you. I'm, I don't care who, who lives or dies. I'm going to live my life. Then you had other people who were mm-hmm. panicked and stockpiling. You had mm-hmm. people who were afraid to leave their houses. You had other people like myself who were forced to leave their house, but were terrified. You know, like it was it was just like living through COVID and then watching a movie like this, it's like, damn, yeah, people really do suck in a panic, don't we? <laughs> like, we're not good at this. <laughs> but anywho, so Act Two picks up. Some time has passed. Uh, they they have their their little room set up with a TV and radio and food. Blah blah blah. Uh, they got nothing but the emergency broadcast signal on the air. The guys listen to the radio and drink while Francine sits in the next room by herself smoking. Peter comments on how Francine looks sick, and Stephen tells them that she's four months pregnant. Now we get this fucked up moment. Drinking oh. and smoking. Oh, of course. Oh, the 70s. Back back then, it was fine. It helped strengthen the baby. <laughs> but we, we get this fucked up moment here where Peter asks Stephen if he wants to get rid of the baby, telling him it's not too late, and he knows how. Francine is just sitting in the next room listening in horror, because Stephen doesn't answer. He just kind of shakes his head. And it's like, uh, you know, he, he's he's like, Nyeh. you know, <laughs> so Francine doesn't know what's going on. But 
this scene is fucked up no matter how you look at it. it it's completely awful situation to be in. Like, even if you want the baby, you're bringing them into the zombie apocalypse where it's constantly going to be in danger and it's constantly going to put you in danger. Yep. Plus, no hospital or doctor to deliver the baby. So that's just terrifying in and of itself. Yep. And if you didn't want the baby, the dangers of having a back alley abortion, the whole situation is absolutely fucking horrific. And probably why after this movie came out, it's something we see pop up again and again and again in zombie stories because it, it's terrifying. It really like Romero's great in this scene because he establishes like the gender roles in a very realistic way. But he also sets Fran up to be a character who's like refusing to just sit back and let the mm -hmm. men make the decisions for her. Yep. Uh, which is great. And I love that about this this whole dynamic and this whole scene how it plays out because then Fran chimes in, you know, yeah. I'm not invisible. Yeah, well, because he I, comes back to to talk to her and she's like, "Have you made all your decisions yet?" You know, like she calls yeah. she calls Stephen out on it, like "fuck you, bitch." <laughs> you know. Um, she also comments that that she thinks that they're all hypnotized by this place and can't see that it's really a prison. She's like, we need right. to keep moving. And yeah, no, she's absolutely right. Like Fran Francine is the only one uh, that that sees what the what is going to happen. Like the other guys, they they know that, yeah, we can live here for a while, but they can't see the long game. You know, Francine sees where it's headed. But Peter, uh, Peter, yeah, Peter and Roger discuss how they have to worry about the zombies getting up to them, as well as the chopper giving them away and having to deal with possible looters. Yep. Roger thinks that uh, that no one will bother them, but Peter's not so sure. We now get a little montage of zombie shenanigans while we hear uh, a scientist talking about the zombie plague. He mentions that they're not cannibals as they do not feed on each other, only the living. And these creatures can no longer be described as human, so clearly they're not cannibals. Their behavior is basic and seems to be primarily remembered from life. So while they're like he's talking, we're seeing zombies kind of mill about outside. He says they can use tools, but in the same way that an animal can. So this is kind of laying the groundwork for Bub and Big Daddy in later films. Um, but Francine explains to the group that she doesn't want to be treated any different now that they know she's pregnant. She wants to she wants to have a say in the plans moving forward, saying there's four of us, not mm -hmm. three. And she goes, and I'm not going to be den mother to you guys. She goes on to say that she wants to learn how to fly the chopper, telling Flyboy that if something happens to him, they need to be able to leave and they're and they're not going to leave her alone again without a gun. Basically, and she she pretty much establishes that like Flyboy's uh, <laughs> a walking accident. <laughs> uh, exactly. But she also like she's the only one here like that that seems to have her wits about her and is being reasonable. But Flyboy gets all butthurt. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like oh, and starts slapping down a gun and like he just looks so pissed off. Yeah, Flyboy fucking sucks. And yeah. it's another one of those things that, like, I noticed before, but never really noticed it until this last time watching it. Like, I always knew that I hated Flyboy. He was just such a douchebag. Like, he can't fucking do anything right. right. But and, and that's the problem. And it's not like he's, like, just a bumbling idiot. Like, he's actively fucking... Uh, he's rash and impetuous and just mm -hmm. like, he's, he's like a little bitch just pouting in the corner and, 
you know, it just gets worse and worse. He makes so many stupid decisions and it's like, he's like the little brother who wants to tag along with like the cool older brothers who are going out to do cool shit, like going skateboarding or hunting or whatever. And he's like the little brother that's like, come on guys, I want to come too. And he's just tagging along, making every mistake in the book, screwing everything up. And like, yep. you know, a lot of things would have been better in this movie if Flyboy would have just fucking sat down and like, let the big boys take care of shit. <laughs> it, it's true because like yeah he's he's uh, he's such an annoyance and like that continues up until the like well how he gets himself taken out like well, it's, it's just a, a reasonable reaction to how a character like that would react because oh, he absolutely. doesn't have the survival skills and he's trying to impress Roger and Peter mm -hmm. and then Fran shows up and makes him look like a bitch <laughs> so of course he you know huffs and puffs and throws yep. a tantrum and trots off like the bitch that he is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do love love this scene because, like, they're talking about what they're going to do. And Francine mentions how she wants, you know, to be in on the plans. And she's like, okay, so what are we doing? And <laughs> Peter goes, we're going out. You're staying here. <laughs> and, he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, at least until you can learn how to handle yourself. So, again, Peter is still, like, kind of calling the shots here, but is being reasonable. He's not telling Francine... Like, you don't get a part in this. He's just saying, you need to learn how to handle yourself first, and then you can come out with us. Yeah, Which, he, should have, he should have said that to Flyboy, too. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Yeah. So the plan that these guys come up with is actually pretty ingenious. They, they see these, these trucks at, a, like, a, a shipping yard nearby, and they decide that they're going to hotwire the trucks, drive them up, and block off the glass doors to the mall. So this way the zombies are like, yeah, they're going to be able to get between the truck and the door, but they're not going to have any leverage to really pile up against the door and cause a problem. So they're one by one. They're going to hotwire them, pull them up in front of the, the doors, hop back in the other truck, drive back and keep getting trucks. So we now get the montage of them putting their plan into action. Flyboy flies the chopper around, watching over them while Peter and Roger go through barricading the doors. Roger uh, basically pulls the truck up in front of the doors, then hops out, gets into Peter's truck, and they drive back and repeat. Only problem is during this sequence, Roger is becoming a little more unhinged and is getting sloppy. Um, <laughs> we, get, we get the scene where, like, he, the zombie crawls into the cab with him and he's fighting with her. And, you know, Peter is like, put its head up, man. He holds the zombie's head up, shoots the zombie, which was really cool in 3D. Um, shoots the zombie in the back of the head, covering Roger in blood. And then, like, when he gets up, he looks all crazy-eyed. And he's like, we got this, man. We got it by the ass. Like, he's just <laughs> losing his fucking mind. Uh, that was Tom Savini's girlfriend at the time. The oh, way. no shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But I do like how, how Peter tries to get him to get his act together. Uh, but, you know, Roger ends up fucking up in the end and getting bit. So, because he, he leaves his fucking hot wiring tools in the one car. As they're driving away and Roger's freaking out like, ah, fuck, fuck. I left my key or I left the, the tools. And he's like, we got to go back, man. We got to go back. And Peter like grabs me. He's like, you better get your head on straight. Like, you know, because you're not just messing with your life. You're messing with mine. So they go back. They get, you know, he gets out. Another classic quotable where he's like, are we good? And he goes, perfect, baby. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so Roger gets his tools, tries to get back in the truck drops the tools, has to drop down amongst all the zombies. And uh, he's just kind of like punching them while Fran is taking pot shots from the roof at him. And then he goes to jump in the, the truck. He gets bit on the arm. 
Then he climbs into the cab and one of the zombies bites his calf. And I'm like, every time that, that bite happens, I'm like, Oh fuck. That looks like it hurts. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I hate that bite. I hate it. Yep. <laughs> it's like, Ooh. but they finish the job. And then we cut to Francine treating Roger's wounds while Flyboy and Peter make plans to get guns and ammo from the gun store and clean out the zombies inside the mall. Only in the 70s could you have a gun store in a fucking mall. (laughs) Right? Was it it Andy's gun shop or was that the remake? It was in the remake. It was Andy's. And it's funny, too, because Tegan mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, look, it's like the gun shop. And and Tegan loves Andy. Like, it's like their favorite character from the remake. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's the same character. It was like a, it was like an homage. But yet this time when I'm watching it, I'm like, wait, no, the old store wasn't called Andy's. Like, in yeah, my I didn't head, think so. It was like, it was, you know, it's like the Mandela effect in my head of like, yeah, I thought it was called Andy's, but it's only Andy's in the remake. And like. I think what happened is, like, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, the gun shop is, like, an homage to the gun shop in the first movie. So I just assumed it was the same character or the same name. But, no, it yeah. doesn't actually call it. It's like, I think it might actually just be called Gunners on the sign in this movie, G-U-N-N-E-R, which yeah. technically is a, a name usually spelled with an A-R. But it's a weird – it's a pretty on-the-nose name for somebody who owns a gun, <laughs> a gun shop sh- to yeah. be called Gunner. <laughs> and another – like, that's a thing that, like, I don't know if it was added for the movie or – if there is actually a gun shop in the no. mall in the 70s no there isn't i actually read that in the trivia that 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 was added for the film um but there's also i love because i've seen it so many times looking at the various stores that don't exist anymore and there's the brown derby steakery yes <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> yes if there was ever a restaurant for your grandfather <laughs> there it is <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept noticing that every time they ran past it I know Tegan kept asking me, like, what's that store? What's that store? I'm like, I don't know, man. This is some old 70s ass shit. I don't <laughs> even when I was a kid, most of these stores were closed. Right. Oh, man. But yeah, so we get the montage of them getting the guns and ammo. And I got to say, what the fuck is up with the music in the gun store? It's like oh, chanting God. in animal sounds. It is. It's, it's like, like it's safari. like they're in like a rainforest cafe. Yeah, it right? is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking accurate. Oh, man. So they get a bunch of, of of guns and ammo, and I love the the comment that Peter makes because he gets the one like the really high powered uh, rifle, and he's looking out the gate at the at the zombies. And this is another thing. Flyboy goes to shoot at the zombies, and Peter tells him not to. He goes, "If you shoot at that gate, he goes, the bullet's just gonna bounce around, chasing us all over here." Like basically, would you stop being a dick, Flyboy? <laughs> like yeah, exactly. you're behind a gate. Leave him alone. But. I, I, Peter makes this comment. He goes, it's, it's a shame. He goes, the only one or the only one that could ever miss with this gun is the sucker with enough cash to buy it. <laughs> I was like, that's <laughs> fucking funny. Yeah, very accurate. But so now we see uh, Peter, Stephen, Francine and Roger in a wagon running all around the mall, corralling and shooting the zombies. We get some great headshot scenes here, which is just fantastic. Um, and then we there's a moment where they're at the. What is it? Was it J.C. Penney's that they were using with the the, the double floors? Yeah, yeah Penney's. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was just called Penny's. It wasn't actually called J.C. Penney's. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but, but I think but you, I think it's the same company, but yeah, back then it was, the name was different. Uh, but, so the Patreons would catch this. You guys didn't. The uh, the escalator that is featured prominently in Penny's in the movie is no longer present uh, in that Penny's. It's different now. It doesn't have a slide anymore. Ooh. <laughs> you can't go slide down it like Roger. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> but now there's this moment like, okay, so they're, they're all behind the glass doors 
you know, they're getting ready to, to do their corralling thing. And Francine has two torches and like, like butane torches. And she's holding one really fucking close to her face. And every time I watch this movie, it freaks me out. I'm like, you are going to light your hair on fire. Woman, stop it. I, you know, when I watch this, I realize that like they had to keep them all in one piece when they're making the movie. <laughs> yep. Why are they messing with fire? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so they, they open the doors and they use the torches to kind of scare off the zombies and um, which in my head, every time I watch this, I just hear the zombies going, no, like, <laughs> yeah, because, <right. laughs> because of the, the zombie at Night of the Living Dead and the remake, there's the old man zombie that puts his hand up. He's like, and his mouth gets really big. He's like, oh, no, I just that's the, the voice in my head for the zombies with fire. But so they, they you know, they, they decide they're going to get out and they're going to go use one of the cars in the mall like oh, they're gonna have roger hotwire it and they're gonna drive from end to end of the mall locking the doors and setting the alarms so like nothing can get in there um but of course flyboy being the dumbass that he is he he forgets to give francine the keys so then he just like stops in a crowd of zombies and starts like fumbling with the keys while they're closing in on him and other people have to keep him safe the giant cartoonish ring of keys yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't, it would have been even better if he was like he tried one key like nope that's not it and he licks his thumb and goes to the next one like, nope that's not it <laughs> it's like flyboy sucks man yeah he really does he sucks more and more all the time <laughs> but like when so the other guys are getting in the car and of course while roger's trying to get in the car a zombie just fucking squeezes his leg wound and rips it back open Ooh, it's like, of oh, all the stuff in the movie that's the one that still gets me where i'm like ah Yep. Yeah, and you see Roger's reaction. He can't even make a noise. He just starts like flailing around like a dead fish because he's in so much pain. He can't even like croak out a scream. Yep. And see, that's a really believable reaction because we've all hurt ourselves in mm. that manner where you're just like, you can't even say ow. You're just like, meh. You know, freak out. Oh, man, I did that to myself like two weeks ago. Like, not to derail things too much, but like, I've got uh, plant plantar fasciitis. Yep. <laughs> um, hey, me and, too. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yay. And, that, and that's what's been making my fucking foot hurt so much over the last like two months. And, but anyway, so I was on uh, on this uh, camping trip or a camper trip, right, to Florida recently. And I'm trying to like reach up at one point over my sleeping wife to get something out of like a cabinet, these tiny little cabinets in this like camper trailer above where she's sleeping. And I'm trying not to, not to make any noise. And I'm going up tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. And I get to the top and I swear to God, my fucking foot rolled over. Like, you know, like I plied and fucking, I fucked up the move and my foot oh. rolled over, rolled over backwards. And I, I was already trying not to wake up my scream, my, my sleeping wife. So I am just like screaming inside of my head as like the tendon in the bottom of my foot just stretched in the wrong direction while I'm balanced on tiptoe now on just one foot, <laughs> trying not to wake anybody up at like midnight. And I'm just, it was fucking horrific. Oh my God. I, I don't even know how long I stood there just like sweating and like biting my lip try not to like holler or like collapse on this like sleeping person in front of me. <laughs> oh, it was the worst. I, I had this. Yeah. This is a special kind of pain. I see. I don't have to deal with that yet. I, I, I know Jess has, has that. I, I, I was talking to actually Josh about this recently. I get to deal with ingrown toenails on my big toes. Uh, they, they mm. like to, they like to curl in on me, which is, it's a pain to like, you know, cut them back. Like after they start breaking oh, yeah. the skin. But I, I 
just dealt with one. So like my, my toe is pretty sore still. Um, and I woke up, it was, this was about a week ago, woke up in the middle of the night to go, well, middle of the day for me, but middle of sleep for me, <laughs> you know, woke up to go take a leak and I whacked my toe into the, the, the leg of the bed. Like when I stood up, Oh, oof. the sound that came out of me, it, it was, it wasn't words. It was like a, <laughs> as I like leaned on the wall, holding myself up, shaking, like, Holy crap, that hurt so bad. It's like but, your soul, your soul jumps out and right back in again. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Feet pain sucks. But, um, where were we? Roger gets his leg. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Roger gets his leg squeezed. Um, so they then speed around the mall, lock up and latch the doors. Um, you know, leading, le- securing the place further for outside. Uh, they they finish up. Lo- they finish locking up and hunt down the rest of the zombies in the mall, killing them all off. So we cut to later. Everyone is in the security room. Peter is making plans with Stephen to put a wall up to block the stairway, making it invisible for anyone who might break in. Meanwhile, Roger is getting worse and worse, and Francine is fucking giving him morphine and cleaning him up. Like, where, where did they get morphine? Not only that, where do you get drywall and building supplies? <laughs> well, they, they do have a little hardware store in the mall. I know, it's so. just everything that they needed was there. Or this oh, is yeah. the 70s where you could get a Home Depot inside of a mall. Right. I mean, to be fair, I remember in the 90s, um, in the Galleria Mall, in, uh, like out in Buffalo, I mean, they had a little of everything. Um, they didn't have like a Home Depot, but I do remember them having, I believe it was a value that they had there. <laughs> Okay. So there there was there was definitely some some interesting things in that mall and at least in the 90s. Um but yeah, so they 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 make the plans to drywall the uh the stairwell up. And um so Peter tells them that that he's seen dozens of guys get bitten by those things and none of them lasted more than 3 days. So they all know Roger is done for. Roger is slowly going, slipping between lucid moments and delirium. And now we're treated to a montage of them just living their lives in the mall. Because uh, you got to the... have a montage. Of course you do. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we see the guys building up the wall that they had talked about. Francine dealing with sickness from pregnancy. Uh, cleaning up the bodies and storing them in freezers. Which, they're putting them right next to their food. And I was like, eh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, taking out the same you know, reaction. Like, what the hell? <laughs> is that going to, like, transfer to your food? I'm not, you know, my wife is always like, you got to put it in Tupperware when you put it in the refrigerator. Because it's going to make everything taste funny. Right. And I'm just, you know, I'm an idiot That's guy. True. I'm like, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but like, so is everything going to taste like corpse? Right. I mean, you, you know, you feel like there's had to be a better way to handle that. Like, I don't know, maybe find a way to drag them up to the roof and huck them off the side. <laughs> yeah, That's what yeah. I would have done. And yeah, that exactly. Would, they do that in the remake. They, yeah, they just put they them all in eclairs and, you know, like close it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But they, they throw the bodies off the roof in the remake, don't they? Or am I imagining that? No, they do that. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I was like, okay, that's they, they huck if them it, out into the. Yeah, I would have stuck them down, stuck them down in the fucking ice skating rink, you know, because I don't know. Personally, uh, yeah. I'm like, I would have had no use for that. And I'm like, why the fuck is there an ice skating rink, first of all, in the first place? But then also, like, even when they, they use it a little bit later, but it's like now they're they're living this like billionaire lifestyle of like, you know, well, we can do whatever we want. Dude. We're just going to like hang out in the fucking middle of the ice rink for no reason. Like, <laughs> right. When I visited in the 90s, it was still there. Oh, shit. Nice. Yeah. I've always wanted to visit. One of these days, I'm going to get up to greensburg it's greensburg pennsylvania right this near monroeville where monroeville. it's uh 
But well, uh, I want to go up to Greensburg because um, Daniel Wayant, the vocalist for Zayo, is a tattoo artist, and he has he tattoos up there. And I've been wanting for years to get up there to go get tattooed from him and like you know take the Monroeville trip and you know do all the sightseeing while I'm in town. But one of these days. Yep. But uh, I do love the the bank moment where Peter and Steven go into the bank and they're like, hey, you never know. And they're just like taking all the money and then just smile at the security camera. Uh, but we see them, you know, shopping, trying on clothes, playing, eating, etc. Like they're just going through doing whatever they want in the mall. And uh, we get this wonderful moment where the group, you know, is, is they've been enjoying themselves in the mall for a while and they just stop and listen, and we hear the dead relentlessly pawing at the doors. So they can pretend everything is fine in their little ivory tower, but the threat of death is constantly looming over them. One of my this... favorite scenes in the movie, also very similar to the end of Night of Living Dead, um, mm-hmm. with Dwayne Jones in the basement, just the sound effect of tons of zombies. Yeah, just like the moaning and the the clattering out there. But this is where we get... Probably the most famous line in the entire movie where Peter says, when there's no war, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he talks about his, his grandfather was uh, a priest, a voodoo priest in Trinidad. And he used to tell them when there was no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Um, I still, combo. <laughs> <laughs> I still get, yeah, I still get chills every time. Every time I hear that line, it's still, oh, yeah. and not in, not when people quote it or not in the remake, but this particular delivery, I love how, it's both just conversational yet. He gets like real serious for a second and yeah. And just the message of it. It's like, it's, it's a fucking brilliant line. Oh, it's so is. I'm glad that they snuck it into the remake and had Ken deliver it in the remake as a preacher, which I thought was a cool little callback, you know, to this, but, but you can't top this delivery. Like it's so fucking perfect. Um, so now we smash cut to Roger freaking out in pain in his bed. Stephen holds him down while Francine gives him morphine. Peter comes in to sit with Roger, who begs him not to let him turn into one of those things. He makes Peter promise that he can take care of him when he dies. This is a really fucking sad moment because Roger tells him he's like, wait until I'm wait until you're sure I'm coming back. I'm going to try not to come back, Peter. I'm going to try really hard not to come back. And it's like, oh, Ugh. fuck, that's so those hard. Heart strings every it's time. brutal. Yeah, it, it brutal. really is. Brutal. So then we, we cut to uh, Stephen and Francine watching a talk show where the, the scientist is telling, uh, suggesting that they feed the zombies or nuke all the big cities. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter is watching over Roger's bed. We see Roger is completely covered up now. And the, from the look on Peter's face, we can see that, you know, clearly Roger is gone. He's also holding a gun, so he's waiting. Slowly, Roger comes back. Peter keeps his promise and kills his friend. And I love while this is happening... We hear the arguing on the television, and as soon as Peter shoots Roger, we hear the scientist saying over and over again, we've got to remain logical, logical, mm-hmm. logical. It's that or the end. I was like, oof, that kind of just, it punctuates the scene so hard. I fucking love it. Oh, so good. E- we, easily the biggest emotional gut punch in any Romero film Oh yeah, is the death of Roger. 
Mm-hmm. And then we cut from that to Stephen and Roger burying their friend. Or, or I'm sorry, Stephen and Peter burying their friend Roger in the garden by the fountains on the first floor. Which Tegan saw and was like, why the fuck is there like a botanical garden in the middle of the mall? <laughs> <laughs> that was truly a thing. I know. I was like, I was like, oh, I can't believe I have to explain that. Like, yeah, they for sure used to have like freaking like palm trees and stuff inside yeah, of the yep. malls. Another thing that was still at the mall. When I went and I was hoping that there'd be some sort of like makeshift wink to the movie and a burial (laughs) for Roger (laughs) so I could like leave a flower or something, but there wasn't. Also, this was kind of where act two ends. So at this point in the movie, what are you guys thinking? I love it. I love how like the the impending doom. Yeah. And dread. um, They know it's like, does the mouse know that it's in a a trap? Mm -hmm. You know, It, it just makes you think and uh Makes me warm and fuzzy in the inside. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. This, this is the part of the movie I like the best. Like I said, I, I can appreciate the apartment sequence at the beginning more, this walk through, this watch through. But yeah, historically, like every time I've watched this movie, when I say this is a comfort food movie, it's because this is the, the sequence that I want to see. Like not the death of Roger specifically, but just like them living in the mall, just, you know, just making the best of it and making a life of themselves. And, you know, also there's sort of that cool fantasy of like, man, like it'd be so cool to just like have a whole mall to yourself. Like even if you didn't have all the stores with all the shit to steal, but like just having that big giant space to just do whatever you want. You know, like I remember being a kid and whenever I would go to a hospital or a mall or someplace, I would have those thoughts of like, man, like it wouldn't be so cool to like own a building this big. And uh, yeah, so there's always been a little bit of that, like living vicariously through these characters and, you know, until shit goes wrong and then it's like, okay, never mind, I'm safe at home. (laughs) Yep. I think every, every kid, at least in the eighties and nineties had that fantasy about being stuck in a mall overnight. (laughs) Like, what what could I do here? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, and how much did I were... get into a KB Toys or the arcade? <laughs> yep. Yeah, right. And there, there, there definitely was like a, a you know, a rash or or a short little trend of movies of like that, even like Home Alone, like of movies of oh, like yeah. pe- people being like left alone or trapped somewhere. Um, what's that movie with Jennifer Connelly when they're like in like a Target overnight? Shit, I'm drawing a blank. Career opportunities. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is one I haven't even seen. <laughs> you know, oh my god, it's yeah, it doesn't get a lot of talk but it's uh jennifer Connelly hides inside of a target mm. and um god who's it? it's like parker lewis or something oh yeah i'm trying to look it up right now <laughs> what's, what's funny is when, uh frank whaley yeah when i was a kid i didn't even realize that target was like a real place i thought it was invented for this movie <laughs> but it's uh, it's like it's the guy from pulp fiction that's like brad right you know get look at the big brain on brad or that yes that's, that's the guy uh who's like the main character coronemic i think is the name Oh, no, his real name is uh, no, it's it's Frank Whaley. Uh, OK, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. He plays. Uh, but yeah, he's in Frank, he's in a bunch of those like he's that one guy from that one movie that had like a bit part in something, you know, in, yep. in, in the 90s. He's in a bunch of like totally random stuff. But yeah, it's a great movie. Um, yeah, he was like in like the doors and a few other things. But yeah, I anyway, the, my, the point being, I love that movie or like even like where the heart is where Natalie Portman lives in a Walmart for months. You know, it's like there was a whole trend of movies like that. of People just like, you know, living or getting trapped somewhere with like no one else around. And it's like, what would you do if you had a whole Walmart to yourself or a whole target right. to yourself? Right. It'd be cool. Well, there's also a, a trend of horror movies where it's like the. You know, you have the entire, uh, you know, an entire building to yourself or you stay in the weird building overnight. I mean, you got like Chopping Mall, uh, frickin Night of the Comet, 
Um, you know, then you have a lot of those movies where it's like, oh, I dare you to stay in the fun house or, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, right. that, that kind of shit happened a lot in the, in the, in the eighties. Um, but yeah, like I, for this point of the movie, I love the slow turn of Roger, like how we see him. Like first he, he goes from like, he has his head seemingly on straight. Clearly the stress is getting to him and he starts becoming erratic and, you know, impulsive, which gets him, it gets him infected. And then we see the slow decline uh, of him turning and then eventually having to be put down. I also love how we just slow the entire movie down for a bit and show them trying to survive while there's just constantly the threat outside. Like I just, I, it's something about that that really does it for me. This movie gave me my preference for zombie bites, turning you into a zombie slowly, yes. not in like four hours or yeah. like three minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It needs to take days. I see. I I like I always like it where it's the question of are they going to turn? Are they not going to turn? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like, yeah, you need it to take a long time for that. And I mean, there's some video games that have played with this idea where it's like, you know, there are certain people that won't turn from the bite. I don't know if I actually like that, but it usually works for video game logic. But I, I do like the idea of like where you're never quite sure. Are they going to turn? And eventually they always do. Um, it just it's it adds that extra layer of tension. But like when you have like a 28 days later thing where seconds after being exposed to the virus, you're going to turn that that kind of sucks. Yeah. But so act three kicks up. Uh, we see the, the remainder of the group living their lives after burying their friend. We see Stephen and Francine practicing to shoot, uh, trying trying to get headshots on mannequins because both of them, you know, are shitty shots. Um, Stephen and Francine having a fancy date night dinner while Peter goes off and drinks by by himself by Roger's grave. Stephen proposes to Francine, but she turns him down, telling him that they can't. Not now. It wouldn't be real. I was like, oh, burn. (laughs) Fuck you, Stephen. He's a little (laughs) bitch anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she's like. I ain't going to be married to no bitch. Um, But we see, you know, more of them shopping, reading, trying on clothes, just kind of playing around in the mall. And this whole scene kind of culminates with a very somber and sad looking afterglow moment where Steven and Francine are in bed after having sex. <laughs> and more smoking. <laughs> yeah, she's just sitting there smoking with her tits out and he just looks like, oh, I couldn't get it up. Like he has that kind of look on his face. Yeah, yeah it was pretty sad. Yeah, I, was, a... I broke my new record. This one was a minute and five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty pathetic. And it's funny, too, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but since we watched the extended cut, I, I believe in the original version, her uh, friend's, like, one breast that was out was, like, covered or in shadow or something. But it was, like, you know, unedited in the extended version. And I don't remember there being any nudity in the movie. So when I came across that scene, it, you know, it was just like, whoa. And then and then Tegan, <laughs> Tegan, knowing that, like, you know, we always look for, like, mullets and murder and tits and stuff in movies. <laughs> Tegan right. just goes, oh, titty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm sure we, we've mentioned this on the show before, but for any new listeners, Josh, uh, me, Josh, and our friend Jared had this thing for a while while, while Josh was living in Rochester where we w- would rent random horror movies and we would count the mullet, the mullets, murders, and tits. <laughs> and it started because of Sleepaway Camp 2. We, we, because of Sleepaway Camp 2, we really did believe that there were way more mullets in horror movies than there actually are. But 
because that movie had like 70 yeah. mullets. Like, it was oh, insane. yeah. Well, it, it was funny, too, yeah, because we, we had like the, you know, the mullets murder and, and tits count. But like almost every movie was like, oh, there's one. There's a mullet in this one. It became like rare, you know, like yeah. because the count went down to zero pretty soon after the, that trend of that terrible haircut. <laughs> but, you know, being horror, it seemed like as the years went by, the like the nudity count went up and the mullet count went down. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. But we get a, a passage of time moment where we see Francine marking off days on a calendar and she looks more and more pregnant. We also see the storage room has been turned into a home complete with furniture and appliances. We cut to Peter playing tennis on the roof, getting some exercise. He calls it a day and one of the balls rolls off of the roof down to the ground below where we see the zombies still congregating by the doorway. They've never left. They're always there. I love that detail. That's an iconic scene in the movie that everybody <sighs> always mentions of like, look at this scene. Yeah. You know, he forgot to mention there's a scene before he dies with Roger where they go to the arcade. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like super classic arcade games that he's playing the light up racing game that. <laughs> yep. Even a lot of Gen Xers. <laughs> like I wasn't around when those existed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I remember I saw it and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. And then I had to, again, with Tegan, I had to sort of explain you know, because they're 15. I was like, oh, that's not even really a video game. Like that wasn't even really like a digital screen. You know, it's yep. like it's like there's like moving mechanical pieces behind there. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I love uh, I love this sequence or the way that this this uh, montage sequence ends. Like it's so bleak, um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 the, and it's at the perfect moment to like, okay, something has to happen good or bad. I'm ready. Like, this is like miserable. Like what, what started off as a cool fantasy of like, Oh, we have a whole mall to ourselves. This is awesome. And now it's just, they have this amazing apartment, which I got to say, how cool would it be to have a secret apartment, like all decked out like that? And that cool retro shit that like right. literally like no one else even knows it's there. Cause it's like behind a fake wall. That's fucking cool. But yeah, it's, it's time for like something has to happen. Like the tension needs to break. Right. I, I always thought that people who work at malls, that there's just that secret party room for everybody in the mall. <laughs> like because of all the eighties movies we've watched. Yeah. Like an abandoned <laughs> Burger King or something. Yeah. They just <laughs> they turned it into the party spot. Man, I wish. You know, I worked in a mall and it it wasn't that exciting. The only thing cool that came out of working in a mall uh was learning about the the passageways that go behind the stores, which are not nearly as huge as they are in this movie, you know, mm. but it's, and it's just so you can get through the back door of a store, take your trash out or whatever. But what's cool about it is if you know about them and you go to the mall and it's really crowded and busy and you're trying to get around or get through the holiday shoppers or like, you know, not get, you know, the, the seasonal ick and make yourself sick. You can, <laughs> if you know, you go in the fucking hallways behind the stores. As long as you walk confidently, like you're supposed to be there, nobody cares. Nobody will stop you. Like you're just someone who works there and they don't give a shit. so i still do that to this day even if i go to a mall i have never really been to before i'm like oh there's the door behind the food court we'll just go in there and start our adventure (laughs) that's freaking awesome yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh but there is one moment i i forgot to mention uh during that that montage that you guys are just talking about where we see them after they get groceries just kind of like somberly walking up the stairs toward like the the passageway to their their secret apartment and they just they look so like they've had enough of this shit mm-hmm. you know but i've uh, had enough of consumer culture right <laughs> but uh 
So we I, get... I say this every day as I open my toys up <laughs> that I, that I just like, bought. It's, there's wait. part of me on the inside that's like, I know. <laughs> this yeah. sucks. Yep. I was going to say, wait, don't you do a whole podcast about buying toys? Like, yeah, isn't that like yeah. a whole thing? You guys Edit. have a whole, a whole like show and tell section where like, ooh, how much money did you spend this week? <laughs> the irony <laughs> isn't lost on me is what I'm saying. And at least once a year, we all go, God, we got to pare down our collection and stop this. <laughs> yeah. Like... Oh, I know. My comic book collection is like getting out of control, out of control. As we speak, I have I have my little uh, reaction ghouls and ghosts zombie standing next to my notes, you know, <laughs> because I'm just like, ooh, zombie movie. I have a zombie toy standing here. <laughs> Whereas I literally bought a book today that I already own because they re- they re-released it in color, and it's not even. <laughs> I wouldn't even put it in my top like. 200 favorite books maybe it was just like this cute graphic novel that i read i was like oh that's kind of fun and then i saw it today it was on granted it was on sale it was on discount um, but i was like oh i can replace my black and white one with the color one and i get home and it's the exact same story and i'm like was it really worth it <laughs> for the color right. do, I, do i really care <laughs> like i liked it in the first place and at the same time i'm like of all this shit out there in the world to spend money on like <laughs> this is not near the top of my list but like oh it was on clearance yeah <laughs> uh. But let's be honest. We're here. We're here for for a good time, not for a long time. So just just enjoy the money while you have it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we after the 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 tennis playing sequence, we get this little moment of Francine and Steven getting on each other's nerves and going a bit stir crazy. They have a fight over over the TV being on, where Francine's like, "There hasn't been any broadcasts in days. Give it up." And Steven just looks at her and turns it on. They sit down to eat dinner and she gets up and turns it off. And I love his reaction because he just like he closes his eyes, takes a breath, stands up looking dead at her, walks over <laughs> to the TV, still staring at her and flicks it on like, fuck you. Oh, Steven. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the most spine he's shown in the whole movie. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, Francie's like, what have we become? Like, she starts losing it. But. We cut to the, the, the next morning. Clearly things have gotten better because Steven is teaching Francine how to fly finally. This, however, turns out to be their downfall, though, as a group of raiders see the chopper and start scoping the place out. And I love the little fucking toady that's with Savini because Savini's point out. He's like, he goes, look, they got uh, trucks blocking all the entrance. <laughs> and the one guy goes, yeah, trucks. <laughs> like, he's so happy about it. <laughs> but that night the raiders call them via the radio and try to get him to let it, let them in they're like ah there, there, there's three of us down here and then you hear all these people he's like shut up guys shut up <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking hilarious but of course peter and the others don't respond so the ra- the raiders tell him we don't like people who don't share you just fucked up real bad you see <laughs> <laughs> i love that character <laughs> he's got the little army helmet on but and the next thing you know, the raiders arm themselves and bust into the mall, letting all the zombies in with them. So Francine wants to go, but Peter and Steven decide they're going to try to fight. They're like, this is our mall. We took it. It's ours. So they close the store gates and hide out, figuring they can pick off raiders while they're distracted with the zombies. The raiders begin looting everything, and we just get a montage of chaos they're stealing jewelry and wallets off the zombies. Like, they literally hold the one zombie lady down and start ganking all her jewelry. <laughs> so, like, the one dude is just pickpocketing zombies as he runs by. He's like, yoink, <laughs> just taking their wallets. I, 
There were two sequences. As we go through this, there were two sequences where <laughs> Tegan goes like, where the hell did he get a morning star from? Where the hell right. did he get a katana from? <laughs> They're at the mall. Exactly. <laughs> well, you see all that stuff now. He's going to be like, well, you see, kiddo, like, uh, you know, back then you could buy medieval weapons at the mall. Oh, he, w- oh. he walked around. He looked for the anime. <laughs> and then he found the fake stores in yeah. Morning Stars. He was like, "Hang on, like, who's find the store with the pewter wizards in the front window?" Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was like the the new age creation store. Oh god, but yeah, so they're, they're, they 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 start slapping pies in zombies' faces because why not? So we get a whole sequence of them hitting cream pies and zombie faces. And then like Savini's running around spraying zombies in the face with a bottle of seltzer. <laughs> like it's just fucking silly. Savini's and it's just funny too. running around unhinged being Savini. <laughs> yep. Just being cr- and it's funny too, because okay, first of all, I had to explain what a seltzer bottle was to Tegan. I'm like, another <laughs> artifact. But at right? the same time, this is the only time during the movie where I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I went with your bad, you know, blue makeup zombies and like the weird effects. I'm like, I was with you, but I was like, are you telling me that those cream pies have been in that cooler for like a year and like <laughs> And they're still good to like throw in, in zombie faces. I was like, bullshit. Like <laughs> that whipped cream ha- hasn't solidified into some kind of weird chemical object. I know, right? Was Franny just making like whipped cream pies? Like just in case we need to have like a, a silly pie fight. You know? <laughs> a, like, <laughs> a Three Stooges style pie showdown. I know, like <laughs> it's like the Marx Brothers, you know, <laughs> pies shoot them out, you know, like <laughs> just in case. Oh. Maybe, who knows? Maybe they were that bored, you know? Oh, it's I mean, fucking great. You could tell what Peter was cooking in that the dinner scene, so maybe he was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, maybe we'll want pies. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah, so maybe they were just so bored. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, so they're, they're just, the Raiders are, are, are going nuts, having a good old time in there. Flyboy gets pissed that the Raiders are taking all their shit and decides to start shooting. And <laughs> I love the random dude in the sombrero who tries to get his blood pressure checked while getting shot at. The other guy's like, hey, man, what are you doing? You're getting your blood pressure checked while someone's shooting at us? Come on. Like, so that, this that is sequence a, is so fucking funny. A funny thing you mentioned, I um, I found this YouTube channel. I can't remember, but I won't plug it because I'll, I'll mess it up. And this guy's a huge Romero fan. And he's like, 13 questions that I have coming out of watching Dawn of the Dead. And I've watched it 100 times. And these are things that I still can't figure out the answer to. And one of them was, why is the sombrero guy checking his blood pressure? And he's like, maybe he's a biker, but he's smart. And he realizes that they're probably living off of beef jerky and smoking and drinking. And he needs to watch his blood pressure. <laughs> right? Because that dude is determined to take his fucking blood pressure. Like, he goes back to it. You know, like... <laughs> when the zombies are coming at him, he's like, wait, 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 hold on. Don't eat me yet. I have to check. Because, like, you mentioned oh. it, and I was thinking, like, yeah, I would do the same thing. <laughs> but no, so during this, we, we, get a, we get a firefight that breaks out between the Raiders, Flyboy, and Peter. Um, <laughs> Savini, get, this is where we get the awesome machete to the head scene. Savini kicks a zombie and then just whacks him in the head with the machete. Such a great murder. Yep. But, um, so... We get the, the montage of zombies being slaughtered by the raiders. This is where they're chopping their heads off with axes and morning stars. And then Peter and Flyboy pick off some raiders while they're distracted. The power goes out during the fight. Eventually, Peter retreats into the vent, but not before Savini sees him. Meanwhile, Flyboy gets trapped in an elevator. 
So he gets in the elevator and then the power goes out. Flyboy tries to climb up the service hatch to the top of the elevator, but Peter gets the power back on and the elevator starts moving. Flyboy drops his gun down the elevator shaft and is left defenseless as two raiders come in and start shooting at him. They wound him in the arm and then take off. Peter pops out of the vent and kills, uh, kills Savini. I, I, lo- I love that because Savini kind of <laughs> takes a zombie hostage for some reason. <laughs> It was like he was trying to make a human shield, but he wasn't really trying that hard. No. Yeah. But I love then, Peter just coming out of the ceiling like, peek-a-boo. <laughs> yep. Savini like, has to do a stunt, so he's like, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to fall into yep. the fountain. Which and he's got like, this weird like quasi-racism where he calls Peter Chocolate Man. Yeah, when, when, when Savini first sees him going up into the vent, he's like, I see you! I see you! And he's poking the sword, and then he goes, he says chocolate man, like, under his breath. It's like, He pauses, Ugh. too. He's like, should I say something racist? Chocolate man? <laughs> right. It's not <laughs> it's too bad, like, right? So... <laughs> it's like, it's it's definitely, uh, it, it's soft-pedaled racism. <laughs> it's like, Yeah, Jesus. and Romero's just like, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not gonna refilm it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, apparently when Savini gets shot, and he flings himself over the railing to the floor below. Um, I was reading in the trivia that he kind of half missed the mat. <laughs> so he actually did hurt himself. Oh, if shit. you watch Document of the Dead, mm-hmm. which if you buy any deluxe set for Dawn of the Dead, so it's not available on DVD anywhere in the States right now. And that's because of Richard Rubenstein, who was a production partner and he owned the American distribution rights. He still does. Uh, and he's one of those guys that's going to be lived to like 150. He just won't go away. Uh, he's been sitting on the rights because he wanted to make the 3D cut and release it theatrically. Um, if you get like any, like there's a German, like I think it's German. There's an overseas like five disc Blu-ray set that has uh, the best cuts of all the films. It's got the American cut, the Italian cut. It's got the extended director's cut. It's got, it doesn't have the Japanese cut, but it has Diary of the Dead on it, which, or Document of the Dead, I'm sorry, which is the making of uh, Dawn of the Dead. And it shows Savini doing the stunt. So basically he has mattresses and boxes Mm -hmm. that he put together to fall. And he jumps and overshoots it and like (laughs) catches the end of the boxes. Yep. (laughs) It's really funny because George Romero is like, he waits a little bit and he's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's a very funny scene oh god yeah so so peter is is he you know he kills savini and he's taking pot shots at the raiders from the ceiling and they you know try to escape so the the, the raiders you know get out of the mall they're riding their motorcycles out zombies come pouring in the doors flooding the mall and i love how peter purposely wings the one guy that has the tommy gun he doesn't he doesn't shoot him in the head he wings him in the arm, knocking him off the motorcycle and just mm-hmm. watches with a smile as the zombies surround him and eat him. <laughs> I was like, oh, Peter ain't fucking around. Yeah. Sombrero guy goes back to the blood pressure machine, <laughs> yes. gets his arm ripped off. Yes. So good. <laughs> Another guy gets ripped in half. Yep. We get uh, the intestine moment, which yep. is gory, but not really anatomically correct because it just has skin than guts. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but it's still gross to watch now, and it's uh, Savini establishing his love for using real animal entrails. Oh yes, yeah. in his effects. 
And then we get uh, Flyboy uh, gets back into the elevator and calls Peter for help. Now, he's bleeding pretty hard out of his arm. Peter warns him that the mall is filled with zombies. It's actually, uh, I missed this earlier, but Peter actually calls the zombies zombies, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the only time uh, in the original trilogy that the word zombie is used. Yep. Hmm. I was going to say. it's I'm, not those things. Yeah. Or ghouls. Or the dead. Yeah. I think that's the only time it's. Because I, I want to say zombies does get used in the later Romero films like Diary and Survival. But I'm pretty sure in the in the first three, that's the only time. But I also think that zombies weren't a thing until it was brought up in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I so agree. I don't think, you know, back in the 70s, people were like, oh, man, let's go see that new zombie movie. No, yep. it still wasn't a thing until Dawn of the Dead kicked off the Italian knockoffs, which right. they really like snowballed into what we have now. Well, because zombies yeah. back then was was more of the 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 brain dead, like the Haitian idea of like yeah. controlling somebody, you know, like taking over their mind. Um, but yeah, so so we get Flyboy gets back in the elevator, calls Peter for help. He warns him that the mall is filled with zombies and to get back up to the service hatch and he'll come get him. Flyboy tries to climb back up, but clear, you know, he's injured. So he's having trouble. The doors open, zombies rush in and get him. This scene honestly freaks me the fuck out. Like mm-hmm. to this to this day, if I'm alone in an elevator, right before the doors open, that the thought goes through my head. And I, I'm I'm a little bit scared, like every single time. Like back when I used to smoke and I would go out on my break at work, because I, I wouldn't get my break until about eleven o'clock at night when I worked the the uh, four to midnight shift. I would go out at 11 and I'd go out to the parking ramp and I'm the only one out there in this like desolate parking ramp. And I'd go up to the top floor and I would, I would have my smoke break. And every time when I got up to the top floor and those elevator doors were going to open, I would have that thought in the back of my head of what if (laughs) it's just, what if they come rushing in and it would scare the shit out of me. It's it's a pretty iconic scene too. Like even Tegan recognized the scene, like having seen clips of it in other, you know, in YouTube films or like or like homages to it in other mm-hmm. horror movies. Yeah, like as soon as the the uh, elevator doors open, you know, Tegan was like, "Oh, that's the scene." I'm like, "Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> that's where it's from." It's oh, it's so good. And there's a but... great unappreciated money shot zombie that Savini throws in there. People don't talk about because it, it gets overshadowed by the airport zombie in particular but there's this one zombie with a really jacked up mouth mm-hmm. that gets me every time i see it because it looks so unnatural and unnerving That's yeah, no, it's it's fucking creepy but so peter hears flyboy screaming and figures it's too late he goes to leave and then he hears the gunshots as flyboy tries to fight off the zombies and he has that that conflicted moment where he knows flyboy is dead but he still wants to because he because even if, if Flyboy's still alive, like he's been bit. So he's he like you see Peter like punches the wall and decides, you know, against helping him and goes back to Francine. She asks if Stephen is dead and he tells her that he hurt his gun. Uh, she tries to go investigate, but he stops her telling her that they should just wait and see. So now we get the the scene you have to have in every zombie movie. We get the zombie feasting scene where they're just eating the raiders and the, the corpses that are left behind. So we cut to Francine wanting to leave, telling Peter that Stephen hasn't answered the radio for hours and they need to go. Pan out to the mall. We just see the whole place is now filled with zombies. One of them accidentally opens the elevator door and we see zombie flyboy stagger out. And God, I love his zombie walk. 
It is oh, so, so good. good. <laughs> yeah. So it's, committed to being yeah. a zombie. Oh, he really sells it. Like, he yeah, really, th- really th- does. This is, this is his best performance in the whole movie. <laughs> it really is. Like, no. no joke. With all due respect, though, to, to the actor, but yeah, no, he actually does. He makes you hate this character. I mean, he makes yeah. you think that Flyboy sucks. Like, he really actually plays that character really well. It's just that, like, we don't like him until now that he's dead. You're like, fuck yeah, screw that guy. But then <laughs> he comes out and puts on this awesome performance as a zombie. And now you're like, okay, now I like Flyboy. You know, yep. now I like this character again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, oh, it's so cool. But slowly, Flyboy makes his way over to the false wall outside the stairwell and bashes it in. Uh, leading the others toward uh, Peter and Francine. He now, chews on it. Yeah. Every time I see where he starts like digging his teeth into it, I'm like, oh my god. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too because it's clearly like a pretty like cheaply made wall, which was good for the for the movie, like logistically, like get it out of the way. But also, mm-hmm. like I again, I never thought about it until watching it. Um, you know, uh, critically. Guess the word. Yeah. (laughs) Watching it critically or closely, I never really thought about it until I watched it this time more critically. But they probably wouldn't have had like sheetrock or drywall in this mall. Like they could have found the wood somewhere or even like took it out of another wall somewhere. But like where are they going to get like drywall from? So it clearly was some kind of like cardboard or laminate or something that they found in one of the stores and they just painted it to look like a wall. But yeah, it makes more sense that way. Well, it also uh, I, I like that the fact that they spent so much time setting this up again and again, repeating it throughout the film, that the zombies are doing like they're repeating behavior. They're they're remembering things mm-hmm. from when they were alive. So, of course, Flyboy is going to know exactly where the false wall is, even as a zombie. He's he's you know, re- he was mm-hmm. trying to get back to safety before he died. So yep. even as a zombie, he's trying to get back to safety, which is just I always find that interesting. But so, yeah, he he breaks open the wall and um, I love that we still see the zombie holding Roger's gun like pointing <laughs> at his head. I love he's, the gun zombie. <laughs> he's just chilling in the background. <laughs> but Peter sees the zombies coming up and tells Francine to leave. He uh, he's ready to give up like he basically doesn't want to go. He goes, I don't want to leave. So he makes her promise that she's going to go. Stephen makes his way in and Peter kills him. The others follow in. Peter forces Francine to climb up the ladder. And then he or she heads off to the chopper with some supplies. Peter settles in with a gun about to kill himself when he decides better. You know, that you know what? I don't want to die. I want to live. And he begins fighting back against the zombies. And my God, I love the fucking hero music. God, this it's, is the only part of the movie I don't like because the music is horrible. Time. Well, because it's like it's AT music. It's like dun 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 dun. <laughs> and he That's does great. like this horrible like I watch karate on TV. Yes, he fucking kung fu kicks the zombies. That's great. But some of the the zombies start climbing up to the roof and slowly start coming at Francine. And Peter, the guy holding the gun, he never lets the yeah. gun go. <laughs> yep, and he manages so to climb a ladder. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's got some skills. But Peter fights him back with his sweet kung fu moves, gets to the chopper just in time. But right before he does, I love it because the gun zombie grabs Peter's <laughs> rifle yes. and he looks at the new rifle. Remember, it's the expensive one. And, yep. and he drops Roger's gun and starts looking at the new rifle. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that dude really likes guns, even in death. He's just like, ooh, yep. look at this gun. <laughs> so Peter climbs into the chopper. He asks Francine, how much fuel do we have? She says, not much. He goes, all right. 
and then they fly off into the dawn. Credits, silly zombie montage in the mall, and the end. Fucking sweet. I love the I love the silly zombie montage in the mall. I know. And and of course I, I pointed out to Tegan, I was like, you know, the music in Shaun of the Dead is like very reminiscent of this mu- music, but like yep. very very much on purpose, you know. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, what is it, Blue Wraith is yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, I used to walk around whistling the mall jingle from Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so I go <laughs> and I would hope that other people would hear it like a bet signal yeah i was gonna i was gonna say it's like a dog whistle but it's like a, a dog zombie. whistle yeah it's, it's like a zombie whistle like you're gonna you're gonna find you'll find your people you know and i'd never find them because it's just a generic <laughs> music <laughs> so people would be like why is he like whistling dentist office music <laughs> what's wrong with him right but it's like when you wear, oh. wear like it's like when you wear it's like when you wear a t-shirt of a band that other people have heard of you wear like a metallica t-shirt or whatever right like a popular band you see other people they'll be like yeah cool metal man you know whatever you kind of have something in common but if you wear like a really obscure band shirt and you go out in public and somebody actually recognizes it like you've instantly made a bond with this person that you've never met before we'll probably never talk to ever again but like you'll be like finally yes yeah. <laughs> i used to wear a biohazard t-shirt everywhere and nobody was ever like, dude, five blocks to the subway. Like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, man. So good. But, yeah, I love it. I love this movie so much. And, and I was going to say, I looked it up while we were talking. And, yeah, so this movie is the first time, apparently, that the word zombie is set on film, any film, in the context of an undead creature. That the word zombie had been said before in the context of like the you know voodoo style people under a spell, but in terms of an actual like co- reanimated corpse creature, this is the first time they're ever called zombies on film. So we should nice. talk about the end of the film and the alternate ending. That's kind of a bit of a white whale um, for Dawn of the Dead fans. You do a little research. This is one of the first things that always comes up. Is the alternate ending that may or may not have been filmed and the only person that has any memory of it now is tom savini so the original ending of the film that romero decided to change because he thought the movie was too bleak which is funny um is peter kills himself there is no like fighting sequence fran fran decides she hears the gunshot that there's nothing left to live for and stands up into the helicopter blades oh shit decapitating herself oh wow you yeah, guys that's... never heard of this no i i've well, never heard of that i knew that there was an alternate ending where the characters all die but i never knew the details it's like it's like that that alternate ending for like clerks where like you know dante gets killed yeah. and it's like no that doesn't no don't put that in the movie please so like, that kind of the ruined head it. the exploding head they use for the woolly kicking the gun kicking the door open and blowing the head up mm. scene that's molded after fran's head so they ended up scrapping that scene. Mm. Savini reused it, and they reused it for the exploding headshot. So if you pause it and watch it, like on your Blu-ray, when you get to that second, it's a, like two frames of film. It's a woman's head with like a fake mustache on it and like the gray-blue zombie <laughs> face paint, and then Savini blows it up. Oh, that's interesting. I so, never knew that. See, I had heard, uh, like, you know, obviously you, you hear about the alternate ending. I had heard that Peter committed suicide, like a, he didn't he didn't live. But I didn't know Fran killed herself, too. Yeah. Fran stands up into the helicopter blades and decapitates herself. 
That's nuts. And what the movie was originally supposed to end with just the helicopter running out of gas with Fran dead. God, what a way to go, too. And another alternate ending, instead of the zombies corrugating in the mall, was just going to have the credits rolling with the sound of the helicopter engine slowly dying. Oh, it's so, yeah. it's so fucking bleak. It. Yeah, yeah, that'd be brutal. I was just thinking too, like I could picture like Fran running out of gas somewhere and like landing the the chopper and then getting out, and then and then there's just nothing around her on all sides, but like a sea of zombies like slowly coming her way, like cut to black, you know, like fuck. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, one thing Romero really does really well in every one of his zombie movies is he does have that moment of like, like the 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 feeling of everything is lost. There's no way to get out of it. The one I always think of, like, obviously we were talking about this in this movie where they're they're <clears throat> sitting there and the, after their big montage of shopping and playing and having a good old time and they stop and listen and we hear the zombies pawing at everything. And like mm. you had mentioned, the, the uh, Mike, you had mentioned the moment of Ben in the basement in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that always sticks in my head is in Day of the Dead, the opening with the fucking megaphone. And the hello. Oh, God. Is that like just, hello. oh, yeah. It creeps me out so bad every fucking time. <laughs> but he's Romero just he paints that picture so well. I love it. But yeah, final thoughts on this movie. It's one of the best zombie movies ever fucking made. Just hands down. It, it's one of the best zombie movies ever made. And it is one of my all time favorite movies. Yep. So I got nothing, nothing but love for this one. Even with all of its cheesy moments, the kung fu, everything, I love it all. It's just, it's a fantastic fucking film. Yeah, same here. I got nothing else to say, honestly. You know, I love this movie. Anyway, I'll say this though: uh, um, the context of that, the first time I ever saw this uh, at that uh, that lonely gas station, in the <laughs> middle, you know, uh, in the woods, was the. My boss at the time, he worked those couple of shifts with me, and then he left some VHSs there. He was like, oh, you got to watch these like when I'm not around. So those first couple of nights, we watched Evil Dead. We watched Dawn of the Dead, obviously. We watched The Frighteners, um, and we watched Creepshow. And then he like left me some DVDs. And so I had Dawn of the Dead. I had Mel Gibson's Payback, which is to this day my favorite Mel Gibson movie. And we yeah, had, it is a good movie. <laughs> and then we had The Postman, <laughs> which <laughs> I'll defend. I think it's a fucking great movie. I love it. I agree. It, so. Yeah. I, I do too. It's, it's yeah. good. It's a great movie. Yeah. So, so that's what I had. We had Dawn of the Dead, uh, Payback, The Postman, and The Frighteners. And that's all we had until someone else brought a VHS in. So for about a week, we were just watching them like on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now we did mention a lot of the trivia, uh, that, that I already had, but just a few little tidbits, um, extras who appeared in the film were reportedly given $1 in cash, a donut and a Dawn of the Dead t-shirt. So thought that was interesting. Um, the MPAA had threatened to impose the X rating if George Romero didn't make cuts. Romero didn't want to cut the film and was adamant against an X rating due to its stigma of hardcore pornography. Uh, in the end, Romero was able to persuade his distributors to release the film with no rating. Although on all the advertising and trailers, there was a disclaimer that in effect read that uh, there, there, while there was no explicit sex in the film, the movie was violent in nature and no one under 17 would be admitted. Um, <clears throat> this is apparently the most profitable film in the Dead series, which I, I w- honestly wouldn't have guessed. Like, I, I figured that, you know, it would have continued to get more profitable as Romero, you know, gained some notoriety, but uh, 
But yeah, this is the most most famous or the most profitable one out of the whole bunch. Oh, really? Out of all of them? I don't. Uh, I I will dispute that claim. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because Dawn of the Dead they had no copyright claim on it, so they have no way to measure the money they were making. Ah, uh, okay. I thought it was Night of the Living Dead. They had no copyright. Or, claim. No, sorry, Night of the Living Dead. Sorry. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead. They had no copyright claim. They never made a dime. So on well, paper, they made zero. Yeah, but that's the but, thing. Romero didn't see the return on that. In reality, Night of the Living Dead is still playing. Right, right. It's still getting released. So I would say that that would be the most profitable. I mean, profitable to who, though? Nobody. To, that, to the that's, fans. That's what I'm getting at. It's <laughs> yeah, like, because yeah. it, it, I don't think could, because anyone really got their return on investment except for some of the shady, shady motherfuckers that dealt with the uh, the the upfront money on Night of the Living Dead. So, oh yeah, the mafia got all that movie, that money. Yeah, that's like it, that's like in you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like nobody who was in the movie got rich from the movie, you know, no. because the fucking mob took all the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but. Um, yeah, we, and we were, we already mentioned a lot of the stuff, but one of the things I found interesting was this, this entire film was filmed over four months. Oh, really? So they, they, I mean, for, for how much is in this and how big the set pieces are like, that's impressive. So, but yeah, I mean, there's a ton of trivia out there. Uh, I know Mike had, had pretty much everything that I had written, <laughs> um, and, and way more. So <laughs> we, you, you get to hear a lot of cool trivia throughout the film or throughout the podcast. Other but fun trivia I have, uh, blades pops up again in land of the dead yes as a cameo but he's uncredited because richard rubenstein owns the name blades mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's just a zombie that is tom savini that's wearing a leather jacket has a machete mm-hmm. um the one of the most prized pieces of my horror movie collection is i have a dawn of the dead t-shirt from the crew oh, nice. that's awesome. uh, it's a woman's small but i have it <laughs> <laughs> And uh, if you want to collect merchandise from Dawn of the Dead that came out when the movie was released, there's only a board game mm-hmm. uh, that's also like very sought after, which I have. I've never played it because I don't want to like touch it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there's also a really cool it's can't play it, but you can watch videos of it on YouTube. There's a Commodore 64 Dawn yes. of the Dead game at uh, Commodore 64 and Amiga. And Amiga, there yeah. are there are ROMs of it. And yes, you can play it Okay, um, because I, I have played it um it's very bad like it's not a a good game um but it's pretty fucking impressive for the time period because it is first person perspective and it's it's the old school first person perspective where you're going down like a hallway and occasionally like a weird looking zombie will like pop up in your screen and you have to like click on the punch icon and click on the zombie like to punch the zombie to death (laughs) unless you have a weapon then you can use that uh but the whole thing is like you have to refuel your chopper and get the fuck out of there. Yeah. But very, very interesting old school horror game. Um, this was something one of these days we're going to talk about on Count Creepy Head, where we're going to talk about video games uh, from time to time. But I played a fuck ton of Commodore 64 horror games. Uh, I did not have that one. Like I said, I've played ROMs of it, but I did play the Evil Dead one. I did play the Friday the 13th one and the Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors one because there wasn't an original one. But... <laughs> I did play all of those, and I remember me and my brother, you know, scaring ourselves on these stupid little old school, like, freaking two-bit <laughs> video games. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. Definitely good stuff. Um, so we, we have run very long on this one. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the, the edits are going to be absolutely bonkers. But, you know what? It's a special 
you know, this is going to happen from time to time, especially when we get the three of us on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but let's let's get into our social media so we can get out of here. Uh, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, normally, Maurice handles our Twitter, but it's at Boogeyman's The. Um, we have a Patreon for those of you interested. Uh, this episode in particular has Mike saying some sweet stuff while me and Josh took a little break. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so definitely check that out if you're interested. It's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes, as well as an original episode uh, exclusive to Patreon each month. Um, we are part of the Rad Pantheon Network, uh, which Josh runs as our Professor X. So I'm going to toss it over to you, Josh, for for Rad Pantheon and, and other plugs you may want to give. And then we'll toss it over to Mike. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, so the Rad Pantheon is like an art collective of rad people just helping each other out to spread the word about rad artistic projects, podcasts, musicians, photography, you know, artwork, you know, physical artwork, digital artwork. There's a lot of cool shit on there. I haven't posted at the Instagram in a while. Uh, social media has been just eating up my life in general, and my real life is kind of taking <laughs> taking over uh, all of my free time. But we're going to be seeing some updates coming up pretty soon. So you can check out redpantheon.com to find all the social medias for Red Pantheon. You can find us. Um, one of the projects you can find there is Raised by Rentals, the podcast uh, that Mike Alvarez and I do together, where it's kind of like a fantasy football for nerds thing. And we just kind of improv and do uh, uh, made-up stories for movies and TV shows that like never really happened that we think definitely should. So come check that out as well. And you can visit me personally on Instagram at Comics Boost, just spell comics with an X, Comics Boost on Instagram, where I like to spread the word about crowdfunding campaign uh, projects for comic books. Uh, so come check that out if you're a comic reader and you want to see some cool like uh, underground shit. Back to you. Yeah. And uh, Mike, I'd like to toss it over to you for any plugs you may want to give. Uh, Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash. That's creepy with a K. We talk about toys and nerd stuff or whatever we want to talk about. Uh, if you're listening to this episode when it drops, this upcoming Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash will be video game centric. Yes, and indeed. I'm looking forward to if that. If you're sitting at home and you would like to watch Dawn of the Dead, you're going to have to go on eBay and get a DVD. If you have a region free oh. player, you can also get uh, some very nice overseas versions. Although there also is a, a a version on YouTube that is available, yes. Um, so it's not the most it's not the most legal way of getting it, but it is available and it's pretty it's actually pretty nice quality. I um, uh, suggest you own a copy. This is a movie I, I that do should as be well. in every collection. I'm currently looking at my ultimate edition, uh, the DVD box set that came out in the early 2000s, and uh, definitely love having this in my collection. But, um, Mike, I want to wish you a happy birthday, good sir. That's the whole reason why we are here today. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Thank you for four hours of your time. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I had a blast. <laughs> yeah, me too. Definitely. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mike. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I need to go figure out what my, you know, now feral kids are doing, just uh, fending <laughs> for themselves in the other parts of my house. I'm going to find them camped out in, like, secret rooms behind fake walls. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> But for for anyone listening to this that wants to check out our next episode, um, but the, literally the very next day after this episode drops, uh, uh, our next episode will be episode 162. It'll be Puka. We'll be continuing our Christmas horror movies. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, and we have our uh, our December giveaway that'll only be up for about two weeks. So it's actually going up as the time of this recording. It's going up tomorrow. Um, on social media. So definitely check out the socials. You can win some cool stuff. 
Uh, and yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll arrive in time for Christmas. So, but all right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up here. We have definitely had a great zombie conversation. <laughs> so thank you both for joining me. And as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at the Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. Get your